Hey everybody, I'm here with Dijon Culpepper. Hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, Dijon, this is the second time you've been on the podcast, but there's a lot of the viewers or listeners. It's probably going to be the first time they've seen you unless they've dug back through my YouTube channel or podcast. Can you give uh, the audience at home just a little bit of information about you and also where they can find you on social media? Yes, yes, yes. So my name is Dijon Culpepper, and you did get it right. Thank you. Um, <laughs> my massage practice is located in Vancouver, Washington. It is called the Balanced Hand Massage and Body Works. My background in particular comes from more of a uh, true sports aspect because before going into massage therapy, I was a personal trainer, and that's what actually led me into massage therapy. So um, having a background in that arena and also being a competitive bodybuilder, I already had a foot in with a select clientele that I had intentions of working with. So that was one of the advantages for me uh, going into the massage business was I already knew who I wanted to work with and I already had a foot in, so I wasn't really trying to get in. Um, like I said, I'm here in Vancouver, Washington, if you're not familiar with that. You've got Vancouver, BC, which is all the way at the north end of Washington State uh, or at Canada. And then Vancouver, Washington is all the way at the very south end of Washington State. And I'm basically in Portland, if you wanted to, Portland, Oregon. So um, yeah, I'm originally from Chicago, been out here in the Northwest for about half my life at this point, a little over half my life, actually. Um, that's, that's the big run of it, the broad stroke. Yeah. How's uh, how have things been in your area due to coronavirus? What's going on with that currently? Well, the, the coronavirus has pretty much shut just about everything down. Um, the businesses that are considered essential are, of course, running. I'm fortunate to not be in one of the areas where um, there's mass hysteria. We did, however, have the, the shortage on toilet paper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just like, like, like just about every other part in the uh, uh, the country, but um, we had the shortage on toilet paper. Uh, things have mellowed out a little bit now, but we weren't having any craziness, so so to say, in the grocery stores. The area that I live in is um, it's an up and coming area. It is highly developed, but still developing. So people out here don't panic as much. I think um, the one thing that probably hasn't recovered is uh, because of this area. A lot of people. Um, started investing more into firearms, so you still find a shortage on, on things from from <laughs> that standpoint. Toilet paper and guns. God Toilet paper and guns, right? <laughs> but um, from from the business side of things, um, me as a practitioner, I did shut my business down, even though I deal with people on a just one to one basis, and the majority of my clients actually are people who did uh, start working at home. Yeah. They did They did quarantine themselves, so to say, or, or start practicing the social distancing. And I feel like I would have been safe working on people, but I try to stand in support of what the majority is going through yeah. and also just not put myself in a bad situation because I do have a family at home. And based on reports and what they're saying, it's a little difficult for you to just look at someone and say, hey, I think we're OK. So most massage therapists, gyms, I, my practice is also shared with a gym. Most massage pra uh, practices and gyms have really been shut down for, we're pushing over a month now. We're pushing over a month. Uh, Washington State did uh, issue out the allowance, to say, for massage therapists to work on clients if it was medically necessary. 
and they put out some perimeters so far as what would be deemed medically necessary, but it was still very broad stroke. With that, I still have had the allowance just based on on what they put out. I've, I've had the allowance to work on clients, but I still have been holding back. So that's what it's looking like in, in broad stroke. That's what it's looking like out here. Yeah, I had um, a student contact me and I think because I've been teaching long enough and have built enough social media following where a student was asking me like, you know, what are you going to do when you reopen? I go, I reopen. And they're like, no, but like what new protocols are you going to put in place? And I'm going to go, listen, I'm going to clean the studio. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to wash my hands and feet just like I normally do. The difference is fundamentally, as far as the virus is concerned, it is novel. So it's new. Our immune systems haven't adapted to it the way it has, say, the flu, which always keeps changing, right? Right. The thing is, it's like antibacterial wipes and wiping down your table is like pretty standard. Like, I don't right. plan on doing a huge amount extra. And it gets to the point where it's like, am I going to wear one of them bioterror suits? It looks like it's something out of 12 monkeys. It's like, no, <laughs> like, I'll go do something else if I have to before I would do that. Like, right area it's just protecting people and being reasonable like i'm not going to open until government and our state regulators say listen it's time to go ahead and reopen and much like you i only work on one person at a time right right i think the the coronavirus itself has a larger impact if we were it would have a larger impact if we were in studios where there are four or five therapists and you've got each one of them holding six to seven appointments per day. The funny thing with what you just said in regards to a student contacting you, I think back to when I was in school and one of my instructors, if you left the room to go use the restroom, when you came back in, there was a hand sanitizer uh, container right on the wall and she would just rip you to shreds if you didn't hit that thing up before you got all the way back in the room. Hmm. And you know, she says, look, I expect that you washed your hands, but you still touched doors before you got back here in the room when we're doing, when we're practicing and going over technique. So I expect you to use that hand sanitizer when you walk back into the room. And I studied under teachers that were so uh, to the point, just about cleanliness. There weren't shortcuts. So it's almost amazing to me when therapists in particular have to ask questions like that. It's like, um, I thought we were pretty much at the top of things so far as cleaning, especially if you're scheduling properly and giving yourself that time in between clients to break things down and clean in between clients anyway, because your clients touch stuff. And the coronavirus happened right in the middle of flu season anyway. So that should have just been already in place in my eyes. I mean, I don't know, like, mostly what I've seen is therapists, just like the general public, are freaking out, and they're like, right. what do we do? Who tells us what to do? And I'm like, this is America. We have autonomy. Like, you're the boss. Like, right. you know, um, if you're a spa owner, you know, forcing people to work because you can get around it somehow. If you work for a chiropractor and you're considered medically necessary or whatever, it's like, they keep having these debates. So massage entrepreneurs became, how do I file for unemployment? Which is important. I understand. I'm not, mm-hmm. just, I, even I looked at it for five minutes and went, this looks like a lot of work. 
<laughs> right, right. So it's like I do have, or I had a little emergency fund. You know, I'm, I'm doing a little bit better than other people. But if it went on for months and months, I'd have to go to our local supermarket at HEB and get a job and just bag groceries or do whatever just to keep, you know, revenue streams um, going. I understand a need for basic hygiene. I don't understand a need to go really beyond that, even when we're post, you know, we're back to working normally. Like there's a line for me personally, where it gets to like being a germaphobe, being like so over the top about it, where it's like, I just, it, I would almost rather go work in another industry than feel like after every client, I had to go wipe the doorknobs. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's been a, it's been a very interesting conversation in the massage community ever since this came about. You and I are in some, in some groups together, and I'm sure you've seen it also where uh, you have this, you almost have this massage militia that is <laughs> hunting down anyone who even insinuates that they were still practicing during this time. Yeah. So it's it's been a very interesting it's been a very interesting conversation. So to the have. other side of it, the therapists somehow they figured out the word telehealth, and they're like, "Ooh, I can work with clients online. I can show them how to use a tennis ball, work on their tricep, or whatever it is." And right. they're asking me like, "How do I do that?" And I go, "You press a button on your phone, or you get Zoom or some software. Do right. YouTube search for how do I." you know, do interactive video or whatever. And then you teach people. They act like it's a new thing, but I've been sort of doing elements of it for like the last eight or 10 years. The thing is, I couldn't drag the community along now that they're forced to not be hands-on. They're like, oh, we can learn online. You can do online education. And I go, yeah, I've got a subscription service. We've been teaching online for three years. It's like, this right. is not new. Well, well, the other side to the other side to that is, in order for you to be a practitioner of anything, you actually have to have experience in it, and I, I, I can just speak from personal experience. The, I would not say that the the majority of massage therapists I know personally do a lot of personal soft tissue work they look for another massage therapist to work on them. So they're not necessarily using lacrosse balls and tennis balls and foam rollers in the stick and doing mobility drills. Uh, it's always just about what they can do with their hands. Yeah. And now being forced into this position where your option is to try to instruct someone to take care of themselves, the question becomes, well, how do you do that if you haven't done that? You know how you do it? You figure it out. <laughs> right right which means right you take a client go listen i have no idea what i'm doing but let's try this out and then you 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 refine it like how do i make great videos make bad ones make bad ones and keep keep going what is hilarious right. to me is like the militia right the militia has gone after people and they're like no no it is not within your scope and practice to do stuff online and i go listen you're not doing massage online you're not right your massage license online you're teaching people online just like anybody on youtube when's the last time you heard somebody on youtube got sued because they put out information on youtube no exactly you're doing massage that's not within your scope of practice because you're not acting as a massage therapist when you're teaching people online like the scope of practice police it got people so afraid they can't see clients in person 
And they also are afraid they can't teach online because they think the AMTA, the ABMPE, or their insurance company is going to pull their insurance away for teaching people how to like put their arm on a tennis ball. Like, right. That's <laughs> acting as a massage therapist. That's acting as a coach. Merry Christmas. You just avoided all massage regulation in all 50 states. Right. And you did. And the thing, so it, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting because one of the things that I keep hearing thrown around in this conversation, when we talk about the militia is, uh, they say, do no wrong, do no wrong. It's like, well, first off, that's what the doctors, <laughs> that's the doctor's creed. Yeah. That's not us massage therapists. We do, do we do adopt no that. Harm. Right. Do no harm. Do no harm. Yeah. And there's yeah. nothing harmful about trying to help someone figure out a way to take care of themselves. <laughs> so here's where I get like, a, you know, just a crawl in my neck here. Like you just crawl in my ass about it. There are more people who die from prescription, properly prescribed prescription medication overdoses in the United States that are harmed by hands-on massage. Right. Much less teaching people to work on themselves online. Like the Sackler right. family and the Oxycontin epidemic rolls right into our insurance and right into our healthcare system. <laughs> You're worried about a hippie on a computer showing somebody how to work on their hands. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's it it's the dance the dances that people do never cease to amaze me. Uh, even when we start talking about the chiropractic world, yeah, they one of the ways that they skated around things in the chiropractic world was they the reason i think they became deemed essential was they gave relief for people who would show up to emergency rooms saying i'm in pain so i posed that same question to my state i said if someone is saying they're in pain and they have the option to come see me to relieve that versus them going to an emergency room why would you not consider me essential and of course, it went into this large feed that sends you back an auto email that says, thank you for your inquiry. <laughs> we are trying to filter through all of the different inquiries that we've gotten in regards to COVID. Please stay safe, wash your hands, and practice social distancing. But that's, that's really what it comes down to is it's no different than, let's say you, for instance, you became a massage therapist. Somewhere along the lines, you had a friend who lived in Timbuktu, Texas, or wherever, and they call you and they say, Robert, what do I do for this? And you don't tell them to take a flight to come see you. You try to figure out what you can give them to do before you start referring them to someone that you don't even know is going to be the right fit. Yeah. And there's no difference. And if if the majority of therapists can get themselves back to that point A when everyone who they knew thought that they were a doctor the minute they graduated massage school and they were giving out advice like it was hotcakes, they would probably lessen the load on themselves and the stress over whether or not they're able to give advice or do a quick video or uh, post something just general on social media. Oh, man. It's... So I, I'm teaching, um, like making use of my time. I've been using Zoom heavily, screen sharing, um, making a social media course. Mm -hmm. social media course literally screen shares my platforms and shows them, like from my phone, hey, here's how I use Instagram links and hashtags. Here's how I use Linktree. Here's how I, you know, whatever. And what happens is when we got to Facebook business page, the conversation was two hours long. 30 minutes was me screen sharing, saying, yeah, you press this button, 
upload MP4. MP4 is a crazy video file. The other hour and a half became, well, what if people judge me if I make video and the video isn't good enough and the audio isn't good enough? And I go, you care what losers think about you on the internet? Right. Who cares? Like, make bad video. Then make it. Yeah. And just nobody goes. I'm like, who here? I told them this. There was like six people in the room. I'm like, who here seen my first YouTube videos? My first 10 YouTube videos. And they're like, oh, nobody. And I'm like, exactly. Nobody goes back and watches that. They're going to watch where you are down here. Who right. Was, who was Satan on Kanye here? <laughs> Who's Satan on Kanye right. now? Like, right. It's like, I'm busy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Great example. <laughs> making, them, making them afraid. Like, the, even the fact, I laughed because you called it the militia. <laughs> They're coming it's vicious. It is, look, it, I, don't, I don't think there, I don't think we're going to have a single massage therapist watching your, your uh, video that is not in one of those groups where the militia exists. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird time, man. It's it's a weird time to see the coronavirus shift a lot of stuff rapidly. You know, I had someone contact me out of the blue. It was, it was a potential client, and they knew that I couldn't see anybody, but their husband's a veteran, and he's in pain. Like, he's got some serious, significant pain. I don't know anything about telehealth. They used the word, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never heard that before. Then I, I bring, I'm like, listen, because I, I can't see him. And I just have a phone call with him real briefly, and I say, listen. Have him online with me. Do you have a foam roll? Yes. Do you have a tennis ball? Yes. Okay, good to go. I'll see you tomorrow at one. I get him online, work with him. And the funny thing is, it's like, I'm not used to it either. I teach online, but mostly what I'm doing is putting up video. And it's only recently that I started interacting with people interactively through software like Zoom. So the thing is, I'm actually screen sharing and going to Google and showing him the anatomy. Hey, listen, that muscle you press on is right along your spine, right in here. This is probably where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And I just say the name. So it's like you're educating this person. I work with him the second time. got a message last night. It's been like a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's like, he's reduced by two points on a pain scale. I never touched him. Right. Like that's gold. I would have begged to get people to do that to me previously, but I don't think the public even would have necessarily done it because you have to create it. Well, you, you have to drag them along. You have to create it, but you also have to, when you say drag them along, that's the thing. Because the public has this perception that they can't do it themselves. The public has a perception that... Fundamentally disagree. If you're, if you're listening to this, I completely, unequivocally, <laughs> every fiber of my being think anybody on YouTube that lives in sub-Saharan Africa or wherever they are in Russia can learn online. <laughs> right. We, well, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's, it's like, why are we so convinced that we are not capable of taking care of our own bodies? And even as a massage, well, even as a, as a massage therapist, even the thing is, um, you tread that line where you're either teaching your people to be self-sufficient or you're teaching them to be completely dependent on you. Yep. And here's the thing. A lot of the therapists, they're very happy to have dependent clients. It, it's, uh, it's almost like being a W-2 employee at that point, you know? Yeah. But, you're, but you have uh, 
40 different bosses. <laughs> so, you know, there, there, there should be a, a progressive mindset. And when I say progressive, I mean the treatment should be progressing towards the next level, whether that is changing the frequency, whether that is taking a person into strengthening movements to counter everything that has been, that was an issue and to reinforce everything that's been done. Uh, there should just be some type of progressive mind state. You should have some type of plan as to what you're doing. Um, from a business standpoint, that's been one of the strong points. That's been a, a very strong thing for me also is telling people when they come in, Hey, look, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to do this for about eight weeks. And then after that, this yeah. is what we're going to do for the four weeks to follow and so on and so on and so on. And hopefully we get you to a point where I only have to see you once a month for tune up or just cause you want to come get this or that done. But that's, that's not the, that's not common as, or as common as I think it should be. Yeah, I mean, I talked to a therapist and um, I said something about treatment and she's like, Oh, we can't treat. And I'm like, oh, you don't think massage therapists treat soft tissue? And she's like, no, we can't diagnose and treat. I'm like, I didn't say you diagnosed or treated anything. I said you treated soft tissue. Right. Like, that's a weird, like, you're getting into semantics and jargon. And, like, there's no state regulators or board who would ever come after me if I said I, I treated soft tissue and say, you can't say that. That's like, that's like, that's jargon. That's semantics. That's use of language. Well, you know, when someone tells me I can't use the word treatment, I tell them they've probably never filled out a HICFA and sent in billing to insurance. <laughs> um, so th that that conversation will probably end right then and there. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I've had too many insurance companies pay for services for me to say or agree with not being able to use the word treatment. Yeah. I mean, in context, it's like, it's all, it's all within context. Like, for instance, I have people all the time. I'm in Texas. We have a different setup than you in Washington State. We have a 500-hour core curriculum training. That's the, what the therapists get. People come in and they say, I have carpal tunnel. And I don't say, ah, you don't have carpal tunnel. I say, oh, okay, what, what are you experiencing? Were you diagnosed by a doctor? Then I have to go into that dialogue. And I go, oh, you're experiencing pain in like your hand and wrist? Well, where on your hand and wrist? I go into more detail. And then nine times out of ten, I can work on people and they're like, oh my God, like it's almost all gone. And I go, right. It seems like you're having a soft tissue issue, probably related to nerves, but the soft tissue portion is what we deal with, or what I'm, I guess, most uniquely skilled at dealing with very rapidly. And then I'll say something like, if I can do that to you once, we can likely do it again. I can likely show you how to work on yourself and keep that at bay. They're usually extremely happy with that. But what I notice is you talked about a treatment in a very confident, very secure, very treatment plan oriented way. Most therapists, I don't think they have an idea of how to do that. That's not the sense I get in the broader industry. Well, you know, the thing about that is I come from, like I said before, I come from the personal training world. And in personal training, when you take on a client, you have to have a game plan. And that game plan is usually about increasing strength or reducing body fat, being a competitive bodybuilder. Some clients, it's about getting them to the stage and you're, you're working with time frames. It is 
a necessary factor so that people don't feel lost, but it's also a necessary factor in keeping your business on a straight, um, on a straight plane. And that is one of the things that I carried over with me when I started making the full transition into doing more massage than personal training. Now, one of the upsides for me is that the first massage job I had was for a chiropractor and I was working with MBA clients all the time, or motor vehicle uh, accident clients every day. That's all I had through this uh, particular chiro. And he would have a plan because he had to answer to the insurance company. So he had to show every six weeks why he was still doing something or billing. And I gleaned that and I said, well, that makes sense. And when you're dealing with an injury and you can see the progress being made from the treatments that you're doing, I said, well, if I'm doing that here, why don't I do that in my, my private practice when I go there? Yeah. So it's not something that people, it's not something that I can say I just came up with on my own. It is something that completely, that I took, it followed me because it made sense. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to take massage and treat it like it was this completely new and different thing that required a different structure. So I try to give that to people when, when I'm working with students, because I do, I teach also, but when I'm working with students, I try to say, Hey, look, you can't just, you can't just go in gunslinging and tell people you're going to make them feel great today. Tell them you're going to try to help them get some relief, but tell them it's going to take some time. Tell them let's do it for a month consistently. Whatever time frame you want to set that you're confident that you can start helping them see a difference, do that. But set something. You have to have a goal. It, it's like, it's no different than stepping into massage school and they tell you, hey, it's a seven-month program. Yeah. You know, so... So that's, I mean, that's really a big factor. I mean, it, it seems to make common sense. I don't know exactly how I wound up in, I think, a similar situation, except just years of working on people in chronic pain. And what I noticed was it kind of evolved and I would start to go, okay, here's what I think is going on based on what you've told me. This is before I've even touched them. I say, my hope is in this session to reduce you by two points on a scale. If you go from an eight, where's where you're at right now, hopefully to a six. If I can get you to a six, I'm going to be happy with that. Not, not, not ecstatic, but happy enough. Sometimes it'll go a little bit lower. We'll see what happens. If I could do that once, I can likely do it again. And then I can likely show you how to work on yourself to keep it at bay. In my experience, let's say I bring you to a six. I think if you work with me and you work on yourself, you can likely drop it even lower. And they're usually like, oh, wow, that sounds great because going from an eight to like a five or a four, they're like, oh, that might make my life so much better. Then they're sort of invested. But once I would deliver the soft tissue, the manual therapy portion of the session, afterwards, you know, if they drop, and sometimes what happened, they might be at an eight and drop to a four. And I go, awesome, that's even better. If you, if you drop that, I'm like, listen, everything I just did to you, and I, I, I how do I say this? I'm very proficient at what I do, but because of my manual therapy, I say, listen, I mash on people for a living. I can show you how to mash on yourself. Like I know right. I do it with artistry, but it's like, it's easy enough to show you how to work on that specific area. If I had an anatomy chart and let's say they were having a problem with piriformis, I would come over and show it to them and say, listen, it's just this muscle here that seems like it's really tight. Here's how you, you would use a tennis ball on yourself to work on it. 
something happened when you did that in the beginning, you produced results, and then you gave them away not only of rebooking, but also like working on themselves. There was something energetically almost where I didn't expect, man, you got to come back again, or you're going to be a pain. Man, you got to come back again. You got to come back again. That revolving door kind of business didn't appeal to me at all. Like I was okay. pretty much an honest mechanic. I was like, listen, right. this is what I think is going on. What do the oil change today? But listen, your air filter, I think next time definitely you need to change this. But then by then they expected. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that's very, that's that revolving door. It's a very, very common thing. And if you ask me, that's where there are so many companies out there. I won't, I won't even give them any, any uh, shine right now by saying their names, but the companies that offer advertising when you do certain discounts, um, I think they're slightly predatory and they look for the person who does not understand how to do that one-on-one -on -one explanation and market of what you have to keep your person with you. No. So, yeah. <laughs> well, no, it just, it's like, ah, because I think you and I, I think our practices are probably fairly similar from what we described. <laughs> Yeah. The therapists seem to complain about the big box change, but once coronavirus is over, where are they going to flock to to go get a job? Right. Well, my, my hopes in that light are one thing in particular. The therapists who do find themselves in those places, first off, if they find themselves in those places, and and when I talk about when I talk about the uh, predatory companies, I don't mean I'm not referring to the big box uh, massage studios as much as I'm referring to the companies that will put you on their website and send people to you at a discount, yeah. and then you get half of what they collected for you. Yeah. Um, but the people who do find themselves in those big box places at at the end of this pandemic that we're dealing with, first off one of the reasons that you would end up in that situation is more than less based on not having things solid when it comes to the clients that you have and having a steady, a steady group of people who are coming to you for their treatment. That's a business model. When you go to these places and you work there now, um, more than anything, I'm talking about the, the Emmys and the, the H and S and the, those, those companies. They have a business model that works. They have a way of setting things up that works. Study it. If you're going to be in there, learn what you can and take that back out when you get that chance and redo how you were doing things. Because if you have yourself established, if you have your model of how you handle the people from the moment that they walk in to the moment that they leave, you don't worry about situations like this as much. If we're down for two months, we're down for two months. You should be able to call your people up and say, hey, I'm back in business next week and your schedule should be flooded. Yeah. That's how I see it. So. Well, it's always how one issue seems to influence all of the others. And coronavirus just sort of laid the society bare. And it's like, hey, how are we really doing as a culture? <laughs> Right. <laughs> what happens when people can't get toilet paper and basic necessities at the, the, the store? You know, it's like. Right. Yeah. I, 
and that's that's really that's really what it did it uh it's exposed a lot of things it has exposed a lot of things and that is from the biggest businesses to the smallest that is from the person who is the social media influencer to the person who is sitting there consuming this pandemic has exposed a lot and it, it's definitely exposed a lot in our world in the massage world yeah. um and I, I think the biggest thing in the massage world that's just been so interesting to me when it's all said and done is it's the militia the, the militia has just <laughs> they it i have it's always interesting to be in certain uh in certain groups or environments and hear how people are quick to attack the questions of others or how they're quick to attack someone for what they believe or what they think. It's even more interesting to watch them gang up on you when you, so it's like, we talk about pain science. I think the pain science community, they, the pain science community is the pain science community. <laughs> in, in, in the massage world, there is truth to be found in just about every part of massage it's it it's like religion you're gonna find some truth somewhere in something that's being done now you don't have to agree with my truth at the end of the day if my client is getting benefit let my client get benefit don't come don't come over here and try to fight me over it right the same thing has happened where you have the pain science community at the minute someone would ask a question they attack you and attack you and attack you and they give you no answers. They say, it, it's almost like they say, oh, you're so stupid. You're so dumb. You don't know anything. You don't get it. Well, can you give me the answer? Go find it yourself. Yeah, listen, I, I am not, <laughs> listen, if Diane Jacobs hears this, I, I hope you get it in your craw. So Diane Jacobs is the queen. She is the queen, the pain science, physios, Diane Jacobs, Listen, if I sit down and talk to Diane Jacobs, she can talk circles around me when it comes to motor neurons and nerves and all this stuff. She is extremely knowledgeable. I sat in one of those groups and I can't remember, it might've been dermoneuromodulation at that time. It might be dermoneuromodulating now. I sat there for six weeks and I was like, let me learn something. And all I learned was that everybody else was wrong. I don't know what I was supposed to be reading. I didn't have a reading list. I didn't, you know, and I right. finally came out and said, hey, guys, um, listen, I, you know, I, I went to public school in Louisiana, and then I became a massage therapist because I got sick in a car accident. And, like, doctors couldn't help me. And basically, um, I'm hearing this stuff about pain science and how it's, it's very, very much has changed, like, say, in the last 20 or 30 years. Like, the stuff that we used to think just isn't really the, the case anymore. Can anybody, like, recommend, like, a reading list? I, I promise I'll read it. Can you give me some links, some books? And then the first comment was Diane Jacobs going, were you born yesterday? And I go, nah, but I went to public school in Louisiana. Like, what the hell? Like, if you're the people, give me the information. Right. <laughs> like, right. Make fun of me because I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. It, that sometimes sometimes the way that people go in on other people, I question their level of actual success when they were practicing as therapists. Like 
something tells me you weren't that great of a therapist in the first place. And that's why you've had to find some room to pick at other therapists so heavily. Um, I don't, I sit in those groups. I sit back, I listen, I learn. I'm more interested in the, the entrepreneur groups. I'm more interested in the groups that allow people to ask questions without making them feel like they are uh, some type of imbecile for asking the question. Yeah. And like I said, the, the point I was getting at is you have the pain science community where you already are going to get your head ripped off because you don't know what they're talking about. And then within that, you've got the people who form a whole nother group and they're going to rip your head off because you insinuated that you were still working on clients during the whole COVID thing. It's like, you just can't, you're not going to win. <laughs> you're just, you're not going to win. You know, I, I, uh, I think that the pain science community has a point and I think that their science is mostly correct. I think that their marketing is shit, and they're not doing a good job. I've learned way more about science from my high school physics and chemistry teachers and from Neil deGrasse Tyson and Carl Sagan and Bill Nye, the science guy, and even Alton Brown, who's a, you know, a cook who talks about food chemistry. I've right. way more about science from those guys than I have from the pain science community. Science education in America, in the middle of coronavirus, by the way, like people do mm -hmm. understand that bacteria and viruses aren't the same thing. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like garbage well, in, garbage out. Like education is good, but the marketing wing of the pain science community needs help. Well, here, here's, here's the kicker. And, and not, uh, I want to say not to attack them too heavily, but these are just the observations I've made. The majority of the people within the pain science community are manual practitioners who have achieved no level of doctorate or anything of that nature that just want to be, it's almost an ego thing. You just want to be elite amongst the group that you're in. So at the end of the day, I look at the majority of them and I'm like, that's cool. Guess what? You got this certificate because you went to this this uh, two-week course. You got this because you sat through this person's two-year program. You have this, 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 this. And at the end of the day, you have no more licensure of practice than I do. Yeah. You're still a massage therapist. Yeah. So don't get super high and mighty because John Jacobs said, hey, I have this certificate. And you decided that you liked what he was talking about. Whether it's true or not, you followed through with his program and became part of his program and you have his certificate, which when you go hand that to an actual scientist, they use it to wipe up dog poop. It means nothing. <laughs> when I need information, um, I'll occasionally, maybe once every three or four months, I'll go to Walt Fritz and write him like a message. And okay. Walt is uh, a New England proper you know, physical therapist um, has done myofascial release, you know, longer than I've been a therapist by far. And right. Walt is just, he's very down to earth. And then I would have a conversation with Walt. I'll never forget the first time I sat down with him. I think we had tacos outside of Dallas. And he said, Robert, pain science doesn't change what you do. What it does is it explains why it works to begin with. And I went, right. Oh, exactly. So why are they like attacking people? 
It just explains why what we do works and helps us refine it. That's all. Science is good. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's totally great, you know, um, but it's um, a friend of mine made a, a statement one time and I, I love it. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to put so much effort into trying to figure out what a person does versus how a person does it. And that's where, that's where pain science comes in. They, they want to go in on a person so hard because a person says, I do this. Yeah. And they say, well, how do you do it? <laughs> well, how do you do it? It's like, <laughs> so I do it. There was a conversation, I think it was in a skeptical massage therapist group, and somebody had a question, I think, about intraoral work. Um, and I recommended a, a series of books by Hugh Milne called um, Heart of Listening, or A Visionary Approach to Cranial Sacral, something or other. Uh, Hugh Milne lives out on the West Coast. He's a cranial sacral practitioner. And somebody in the group was like, I can't even believe you're recommending that book in here. And I said, Why? I was like, that's the most detailed explanations I've ever seen of intraoral work in print. And, and they're like, but, but it's craniosacral therapy. That's been completely debunked. And I go, oh, have you read the book? And they're like, no. And I'm like, dude, come on, man. Like, give me a goddamn break here. Like, okay, right. so you don't agree with the theory, so you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Like, come on. Like, I learned all sorts of stuff from all sorts of people, including, you know, growing up in the South. It's like uh, people, you know, like my grandpa. My grandpa was racist. Okay. As a Southern kid, you learn to take the good things about grandpa and leave the rest behind because grandpa was old. <laughs> and he's going to die soon. Right. So yeah. It's like, come on. That's going to go away with grandpa. <laughs> we'll just let them. We'll, we'll wait for that one to fall off the couch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, well, you know, this. <laughs> This is this is what I'll say to any new therapist or people who encounter the encounter those people who like to attack them. You simply ask someone the license that you have through the state that you are licensed in, what does that license say? The license that allows you to practice, what does it say? If it doesn't say something about science, shove it. If that license that you have to practice manual therapies says massage therapist, then you have no room to say anything about anyone else. And the reason for that goes right back to what you just said, where a person wants to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That is the problem. There are so many people who would approach you because you're a massage therapist and want to disregard anything that you say simply because you are only a massage therapist. You're just a massage therapist. So they don't care about anything that you have acquired by going to this seminar and this convention and this, that, and the other. The state doesn't either. The state cares nothing about it. It's just like when people come to me and they say, oh, you do Graston. I say, no, I don't do Graston, but I do a form of scraping. I even teach a I even teach a class that just kind of gives a uh, a point by point of how the whole eye stem came into place and where Graston came from and where it all 
yeah, okay, so someone comes to me and says, I do Graston. I don't do Graston. I do iStem because Graston is a trademark term. I can't say that. But at the end of the day, I cannot go take a smart tools or a Graston course and go to the state and say, hey, I want a license to perform this. Yeah. It has to fit under the umbrella of what they license. No, and that's what, that's, <laughs> you know, it, so, so it, it, you know, so we, so we start ending up with, you know, so many people, they get super high and mighty and it's, uh, you know, I, I was in a, I, I'm part of a, a fraternal organization where you can, you can jump into other aspects of it. And one of the things that we, we would always tell people is, I don't care what all that other stuff is. You have to come through here first. Right. And I think people forget that in the massage world. It's like, you still have to come through these doors. You gotta, you gotta come through these doors first. The uh, time massage jam I've run for eight years here in Austin. I just tell people it's a community bodywork event. It confuses the public as much as it confuses therapists. Cause here's what I did for eight years. I showed up every Thursday night and I taught and worked on anybody who showed up for almost free. The therapists go, but I don't get CE credit. It's not a class. And the public goes, but I'm not a massage therapist. I don't know this stuff. And I'm like, come in, I'll teach you. Like, this is not that complicated. Right. Like, I can take out an anatomy book and show you. You're just applying a little bit of pressure to the person's neck back here. You're just applying a little pressure to their forearm extensors. It's very easy. Mm -hmm. Anybody can learn this. Come on in. Doing that, I have a 19-year-old have a wonderful time. Because they can get touch, they're clothed, it's safe, and I'm there. If they have any questions, they can ask, you know, or whatever. It's like, it's a wonderful um, touch-related environment, which is what people are starved for at the moment because everybody's in so much isolation, right? The, the person, the 19-year-old, is uh, somebody from the acro community, probably here in Austin, and they go, this is what I want to do. And I'm like, oh, you want to do Thai massage for a living? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, you got to go to massage school. And they're like, aw, but they'll teach what you do. And I'm like, true, but I'm continuing education. Like, right. I'm the nuance. I'm what you go. I mean, you can, you can learn and study with me, but if you want to do it and charge money and whatever, you got to go through the, and they're like, Oh, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but that's nothing to do with me. <laughs> right. Right. Well, well, you know, it, I love how uh, with your particular style you always highlight those pillars which are clothed no worrying about the glide because you're not so you're not using the uh different oils and so forth and um what i i forget your what are your your main table cream glide and nudity there you go and if you take those away (laughs) right well we'll see now Here's, a, here's an interesting factor, and this, this actually does kind of segue into what we were saying we were going to originally talk about. Yeah. That is one of the biggest issues that we have in the massage world, which is we already live in a hyper-sexualized society. Yes. Bar none. Yeah. It, it, there's no way around it. Yeah. Uh, social media has done nothing but make it that much more. <laughs> and because you stand on that it puts you ahead of the game and it also takes you away from the nonsense because some of it yeah well yeah well it well (laughs) 
I'll say it takes you it it takes you away from the nonsense out there within our community. Probably a different thing because you're like the running rebel. Yeah. So, yeah. so that it's a beautiful thing because we're really trying to help people, and with us being in this world where you can do a one year course, there's not these twelve years worth of study before you have to before you get to practice. You can do a one year course there is always going to be concern of the filtering of who's coming through or knowing what people's thoughts really are about the work that they're going to do. Even on the end of who we are, not really knowing who is coming to us and what they're expecting from us because of whatever perception they may have about what massage is. When and you open up the practice, the the table cream glide nudity and when i say that that's mass market like massage is a table cream glide and nudity if you take away those elements they don't think you think it's massage but it's like what about watsu what about therapeutic flight what about yoga therapy what about sports massage what about what about what about like there's a really a, a large diversity of different ways of manipulating soft tissue if you want to use that as a base definition but the public has no idea. We do because we're in our industry. But the thing right. is, all that niche stuff is what I'm trying to get to like flower out of that box. Because the public has an idea of, I go to Massage Envy, I get a massage, I get it once a month, it's for my health and maintenance. But they don't necessarily have an idea of all the different things and all the different manifestations that could probably take advantage of for their health in regards to what the bigger umbrella is. Right, right. And and that's the thing. Like I, I speak on the licensure. Massage is really such an umbrella term for so many different modalities, but you need the basics. And I tell I, I tell students the same thing. Look, when you're coming into massage, understand that you are at the ground level and you will find yourself five, six years from now, if you're really hungry, you will find yourself doing something that's way over on the other side that still is part of what we do, but it's maybe more fitting to who you are, maybe a better form for the type of people that you're finding yourself working with. Um, you may even find yourself creating your own. And, and that's, that's really the thing. People, the general public, like you say, they just know that massage is massage. That's what they know. Massage, you got to go somewhere and you're on the table. You got to go somewhere and a person is, touching you um and then you hear you'll i'll hear i hear it a lot too they say oh do you do sports massage i'm like so you do you know what sports massage is <laughs> like yeah i mean i i don't i think brands here's what i've come to in marketing brands are important and what i would tell therapists is i think that modalities are failed brands Mm. Okay. Or you could say modality may be open source. It's not a brand. You know, I mean, I, in other words, I'm, I'm willing to open and open to debate on that. But the difference is I knew that I couldn't change uh, the fact that I was a guy. I couldn't change the fact that I was white. I couldn't change the fact that I came from a family in poverty. You couldn't change. And like, okay, so just unequivocally accept all that and go. And here was the thing, when I looked at what I did and what I loved, it was mat base, clothes on, really deep compressions, lots of mobilization. This looked more like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than it did massage. 
The clients gotcha. loved it. The clients were like, man, this is amazing. What is this? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I just put it together after it's like time massage and a lot of other stuff kind of blended. Cause it's like, if you said your work is myofascial release, all right. Your work is trigger point therapy. All right. Your work is time massage. Okay. Like, I mean, it's, it's blending. Like I'm a yoga right. teacher just as well. People are always like, how did you know that? And it's like, dude, all I've done is mash on, contort, and breathe into my own body for the last 18 years trying to get rid of my own pain. <laughs> like, and and, and I, I get, and I totally get that. And that's the same thing for me because I was a personal trainer for so many years. And I would spend the first two weeks teaching people how to use a foam roller. And one day I was like, what if I got licensure to just do what I'm trying to show them to do with the foam roller with my hands? Yeah. And after showing people so many things to help with uh, movement compensations on their own, you start saying, wow, if I could use my fingers, I could get that much more acute with what's going on and just help people that much more. Yeah. So I, I totally get it. I totally get it. It's, you know, the only reason that I feel the need to brand and even trademark what I teach is to truly scale it in America first and then worldwide is mm. you have to have Coke. You have to have Nike. You have to have Twitter. You have to have a brand to get the students to pick up so they know it's Graston. So they know it's some trademarked, you know, service. Right. Right. Well, and that, when you say that modalities are failed brands, that makes a lot of sense because it takes time and patience, which is something that not a lot of people have. Uh, with the style of work that you do, there's a lot more physical preservation for the therapist. I, I believe so, yes. And, yeah. and that is another thing that we face in our world is you can't be a therapist for 10 to 15 years using nothing but your hands and elbows and fingers and think you're going to last. So most people that I see who try to create something, they don't have the mental staying power to stick with it. And it's also not something that they can actually continue to show and teach. And it was like, I, I thought about this recently. Uh, I had iced tea like one of my posts on Instagram because I screenshotted his Twitter feed and put it on mine and like said something complimentary. And then I had to think about ice tea and like ice tea's transition because when I was, Ooh, man, I, I think this was before college. I think this might've been late high school when body count came out. And at the okay. time, like a mixture, cause ice tea was rap and this was metal. And then what was, was body count? Right. Body count was like a progenitor. This was innovative, but you didn't really do that at the time. Like it's weird in 2020 to discuss it because it's like, yeah, everybody does that. But at the time, mm -hmm. it's totally different. But when you do something different, you face criticism until it's successful. And then it's right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, even when you, that's the same thing. Like I said, with, uh, like I was saying earlier, when we're talking to therapists who are just coming in and trying to get them to understand that where you are today does not indicate where you will be in time if you stick with this and continue to explore. Yeah. And you know Ice-T more for acting than anything now. Yeah. 
It's like he plays a cop on TV, right? <laughs> he plays a cop, right. He's actually one of the longest, uh, longest running characters on that particular uh, show. And that's the interesting thing is I remember Ice-T from way, way back. So even, like you said, he went from rap to body count. If you, want, if you go a little bit further, he had a, uh, I think he was doing a little bit of kind of rock metal stuff. And on one of the old movies, one of the old breaking movies, he was performing on there. Yeah. So he's gone through those transitions. And that, that's a great example of if you, if you just look at him being under the umbrella of entertainment, just because he started over here was not indicative that that's where he was going to stay. He made his way through. Yeah. I mean, I had an instance. I, I taught at a local facility here locally, and I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, I taught, there was a colleague of mine, he was in the class and he already loved my work. And then we had a conversation afterwards. And in the end of the conversation, I said, okay, hold on. So what you just told me is that the work I taught is exceptionally, exceptionally effective for people in chronic pain. Yes. You're telling me that it's easier for the therapist to deliver and it's less strain on their body. Yes. And you're telling me that the therapist can help the staff and the facility, including the owner, make more money. And he said, yes. And I said, what's the problem? And he's like, well, it's not what they teach. And I go, listen, if you don't want something that's more effective, that eases body strain and helps you make more money, I don't have a solution for you. Call right. whatever you need to call. Is it, does it work? Okay, so why are we doing that? <laughs> right. Right. Like, I don't care. Like I literally people are like this is not massage. I'm like, great. I'm gonna go teach the yoga community globally. And they're like, oh, but they don't have a license. I'm like, you just told me it wasn't massage. Can make we up your mind here? Can we make up our minds? Make up your mind. Here. It's like I, I you know, and the thing is, it's like uh, even from an educational standpoint, they're like, but you taught somebody and they were a yoga teacher. I'm like, yes, I can legally teach anyone. I don't encourage them to break state laws. I don't coach them to break state laws. I don't yes. encourage them to like, follow the licensure in your place. When I teach online, there's no laws, man. It's the wild west of the internet. When somebody from Mauritius contacts me, I don't care what they do with the information. You know, holy moly, anyway. Well, well you know, that's the other side of it is in the, world that, in the world that we operate in, you have so many schools out there that you can go through their full program and then someone says, well, we don't actually accept that school. Yeah. And there is no government office that's going to go shut them down. Yeah. That's the interesting part. So yeah. when, you, when you talk about the, uh, you talk about, we were talking about the branding. You are very, actually, I think that was kind of what attracted me uh, to your particular, uh, your social media sites. I don't. I actually don't even remember how it came about, but somehow I came across yours, and I just kept following, and I started joining every group that you had, and I said, you know what? I like how this guy markets. I like how he puts himself out there, and he's real. He's he's not shying away from just talking how he talks, his uh, his style that he teaches, his particular uh, brand goes hand in hand with the best mentors that I've had and what they taught me when I was fresh into the, the world of massage. And you and I started talking about that uh, previously. We were talking about the uh, 
people and what they do, biz, like we said, business-wise versus personal. Yep. And personal versus the professional. And for most therapists, they think it's a huge chasm. Right? And they well, they really do. Yeah. They really do. And there's this there almost becomes this this line that you have to tread. There's a there's a line that you really do have to tread. And one of the reasons that it it always stands out for me is like I said a few minutes ago, in social media, just in general, we're in a very well, we are already we're touching people. The majority of massage is going to fall outside of those those pillars that you stand on getting away from. And there are so many people that they play with it. They tread that line. So in Washington here, we had a real big issue with um, massage parlors. <laughs> so you we had a, a huge number of these places that would send, I, I think I even witnessed it in my own schooling. They would send one person to school to get licensed. Yeah. That person comes back with the license. So they have a licensed person in the building and they've got six people who live in a back room of the building yeah. that are, you know, you go in and ask for the Tuesday special. So that even in, not just social media, but in mainstream media, movies, uh, entertainment, becomes this dark cloud that hangs over what we do. And with social media, I know people will hear about me. They instantly go look me up to see who I am. Yep. Um, if I have someone pop up, I do it also. If someone pops up in my schedule and I've never heard of them, they didn't contact me and say, hey, so-and-so referred me. I start going through. Let me see if I can find who this person is because I don't know who's coming into my studio. I'm a single person. I have to be careful in these situations. And when people look at what you're doing, there's no room for misinterpretation of the service that you provide. Oh, sure there is. That's why you get banned well, from Washington State massage groups. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> In my eyes, there's no room for misinterpretation so far as as the uh, the the service. You you did speak on that. Um, you, they're they're not in love with you here in the in the state of Washington. <laughs> no no no. Let's be clear about this. Like the little subset of therapists in these little groups, like it's not everybody got upset. There's one or right. two people who run the groups who are like, we don't like him. <laughs> right. Well, that, that's, that's usually how it happens. Yeah. That's usually how it happens. Um, so we were talking about that and because I see people, this, it happens a lot in groups. Someone will say something to you or they comment or they come across your page and, or someone just comes across your page and on their personal Facebook profile, they say massage therapist, but their profile pictures, are everything that you don't want someone to think about when they are thinking massage therapy. And those little things start posing these problems when we're putting certain images out and then wondering why we get a certain feedback from clients or from the people who are approaching the practice that we do. 
I've seen women get shamed by other therapists for the photos on their profile, their personal profile. Mm -hmm. And I go, why do you care what other people do with their life? Right. Like, that has nothing to do with you. Like, it's, I mean, be professional. Yes. Do a task, do it well, gain respect, you know, lather, rinse, repeat. Do I have a personal life? Yes. Do I put everything on my social media? No. But there's a, a huge chunk that I do, but I mm -hmm. get to select. Like, listen, my yard sometimes, it'll be kind of overgrown in parts of the front. I don't show you that part of the yard in my Instagram posts. I go over where the rosemary looks nice. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that is one of the biggest things with it. Um, there's always this question of, do you, in the massage world, because I, I'll tell you what, I'll say the massage world itself is probably one of the areas where people are the most critical of, for, in my experience. I know I have tons of friends, clients, family that are nurses. I have uh, family who are doctors and lawyers, people in the entertainment industry. And I seldomly hear someone say, oh, you're a nurse, but why are you doing this on social media? In the massage world though, and like you said, you do see it a lot. You see, uh, I see a lot of women get shamed, but I yeah. also have seen a huge influx of, um, I, I actually, I can't even say that I know if, if these, these people are actual therapists, but there have been a lot of videos circulating around that you almost ask, like, is that massage that this person is doing or is that just an adult service? But it's, it's out there. So, that the question just really comes up is where do we really draw the line so far as the mingling of personal and business in end, on social media in, in massage specifically because speaking about other industries is a different thing i don't know as well in the massage industry you get a chance right now to take out a small personal computer and tell whatever story you want to to earth and I like tequila, so I take a photo every once in a while for Instagram. And I like food, so I take a photo every once in a while for Instagram. Um, I don't go into great detail about my love life, you know, but that's just a choice. Like, I get to choose, like, what I go in about. And I educate people about what I do specifically because, again, it was clothes on. You could film and photo document stuff. When you say, well, yeah, I had no doubt what I did, it's because you see enough video where you have, like, a baseline comfort. You know, to be able to say, yeah, I, I would get this service if Robert was local. And that's all I need. The line between okay. personal and professional has evolved because of this. Right. It's, it's not Hollywood anymore. It's a 19-year-old with a smartphone. It's like, I'm kind of glad this wasn't around when I was 19. <laughs> right. <laughs> there were things I did that I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of glad there's not a record of that. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so... How do you feel when, when you are, because like you said, we get to give these small peaks into our life, right? 
how do you feel when as therapists we are trying to get away from a certain stigma and you do see people who choose to sexualize the work that we do even though it's not okay so it's, I, I made a video with someone and i was told that i was i was too willing to sexualize the work and i went yo man all i did was set up the camera and press a button that's you on the video it's your issue that the model looks naked all you did was put a pillowcase in the crack of her ass that had nothing to do with me i didn't mm. sexualize nothing the camera just picks up what it picks up right like you know when when i see and I'm, i mentioned him because if he ever I, I need to interview him uh mr pure relief mr pure relief is you out there come <laughs> in <the> podcast with <laughs> you i threatened to make him a mod on massage entrepreneurs just to irritate all the therapists but is there oh so you so you are you know him no no no. i don't know him i just know him by his name because i see okay. his videos and you pay attention when it's got millions of views right right yeah. Yeah. And that's one of there's there's other people as well. But the thing is yeah, he he definitely needs to get interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it's like on the one hand, I admire his entrepreneurial hustle. On the other hand, it's not what I do. And it's like right. I don't even think there's anything wrong with it per se. I'm just like, eh, you know, I'm very like laissez faire with like victimless crimes. Like if people okay. want it, you know, it's like, hey, like in Washington right now, marijuana is legal. In Texas, it's not. If somebody gets a ticket in here in Austin or whatever because they smoke weed, I'm like, what? They give people tickets for that? Like, it's, <laughs> that's a waste. Right. Of, that's a waste of community resources. So for me, it's I feel sort of distanced from the mainstream massage community, and I just do my own thing. I just get gotcha. to a degree, I get tunnel vision. The only time I think it starts to chap on me is when my work, I'm told, isn't massage. But these people keep telling me that legally I can't sell it to anybody else. That's getting weird. Because it's like you have to have a license to do it, but it's not really massage. That starts to like grate on me and like cause some internal like dissonance. Otherwise, coronavirus hits, do some YouTube videos, make, do some yoga classes. Coronavirus right. hits, do more podcasts. Coronavirus hits, do more MailChimp integrations and you know infrastructure. Like I continue to document what I do, and when I say document, I just take out the phone and go, "This is me. This is what I do. This is my flaws. These are my foibles." And I know that people are going to come along with that. You know, mm -hmm. some people look at Ice T's Twitter and say, "Well, he's not very professional." Like I can't believe he said that about somebody. And I go, "Is Ice T?" But he doesn't, he's not living for you. <laughs> right, right. The, the line, I think, and the thing is, this technology is going to get smaller, more compact, more powerful. I think it will continue to change rapidly. What I think has happened is there's a certain culture that's formed from massage schools, which is massage school teachers and massage school owners who are older who advertise during the yellow pages. The marketing landscape has changed so much that I don't think education in our industry particularly has kept up at all. Um, I have no disagreement with that. And it's, it's interesting. And, and what I'm, the thought that I'm having right now encompasses everything that we just spoke on, especially with the changing times. I remember having an instructor say, you don't ever play music that has lyrics when you're working on someone. And everyone goes, why? 
she says, well, if you're working on a person and the lyrics of the song trigger a memory or do this or do that, blah, 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 blah. So you've got 15 students sitting here that have taken this as gospel and it's up to them to filter through this instructor's personal preference versus true stated proven fact that goes along with what we're doing. And now they either get to spread that or they don't. I personally, 95% of the time working on clients and playing something that falls more under the genre of hip hop or lo-fi hip hop music when I'm working on, uh, when, when I'm working. And that's because it lets me keep the rhythm and flow that I like to have when I'm working on people. Yeah. My clients actually like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always give people the option. I say, hey, if you want, I can give you a, a Japanese waterfall acid trip style of music with frogs chirping in the back. But if not, I'm about to throw on these drum beats. Yeah. And that's something that when I think back to being in massage school 10 years ago, I don't think my any of my instructors would have been like, yeah, that's okay. That's fine. So even when we talk about the way people are working, it's going to keep growing. It's going to keep moving. Uh, we just have to be, I think we have to be cognizant of making sure that the line, the line is very definite about whether a person has crossed or gone out of what is truly under the umbrella of massage, so to say. Massage schools have an issue because generally what I've seen is uh, smartphones are verboten. And the reason is because students are naked and they're afraid there's a liability issue. So they can't really teach the marketing of 2020 in massage school. I have to have educators like me teaching online, trying to update that part of the curriculum. Hmm. The difference is my work is close on. So what I get a chance to do is I avoid some of the sexual connotation and I avoid the sexualization of nudity itself. Cause like you right. can't, you can't put boobs on Facebook. Right. Or technically is it a nipple? I don't know. It's like, it's just like a weird thing about, you know, all nudity is sexual, right? It's like right. America is a puritanical culture. We're still trying to deal with our puritanical nature we're still trying to deal with the fact, like how many years did it take massage just to become legitimate where you knew that you were going to get a massage, not a sexual service? Because in 1980, it probably wasn't like that. In 1980, it was a totally different cultural landscape 40 years ago. Now right. in 2020, I go, okay, I can't do anything about the culture. I'm just going to teach people what I do and draw those people. Right. It seems like a better use of my time and energy. And if people don't like me or, you know, I get this all the time. Like I'm wearing a Tony Bourdain shirt. Um, okay. People, like I'll go do a presentation and something like this and tie fisherman pants. And they're like, well, he doesn't dress very professional. And I go, if I was a mechanic and I came in and there was like a grease stain because I got some oil on me, would you say that wasn't professional attire? The difference is I'm not doing the work that you do. Mm hmm. I'm, I'm doing work that's on a mat that's completely clothed and I got to be mobile. That's why I wear those Thai fisherman pants. Like, right. You know, it's like, it's, it's people's conceptions. Um, when it comes to the line between personal and professional, uh, some students were asking me about this because I heavily tell students to embrace social media 
especially if they're going kind of towards what I do, kind of maybe close on, map-based. You know, I'm like, listen, the advantage you have is you can film and photo document everything. Just be yourself. Show people who you are. Communicate with your audience. Show, you know, teach them. And then they're like, well, you know, how authentic should we be? And I said, how authentic are you comfortable being? Hmm. That's the question. Because what I figured out, and I, I can uh, give my wife credit for this, uh, being authentic and being honest is lazy. And I like that. I like less filters and less work. I don't take every Instagram post and go, man, I got a zit. I got a... <laughs> right, right. I like take a photo, got a zit, draw a line on it and say, look at that zit right there. <laughs> right. Because that, it's easier to just be real than it is to try to make up a story, to try to act like I didn't come from Louisiana, to try to act like I don't curse, to try to act like I don't like Tony Bourdain. It's like, no, if anything, what I notice is um, I helped somebody shoot some video earlier and they're um, a wonderful, wonderful person I work with. But anyway, she's not used to making a lot of video. So I showed mm -hmm. up with my camera and her phone and like my lab mic and all this stuff and shot some video. And there's like a grackling the tree, you know, making noise and there's like birds and, you know, but here's the thing as a background noise, I think some of those little flaws actually make the video. Okay. It's just not Hollywood anymore. The, when I try to say something and I flub and I laugh, you know, and there's a heartfelt connection with you, people actually resonate with that. They don't even resonate with the, the theoretical implications of what we said about levator scapula. Like they actually right. connect with you as a person. And that's the level of authenticity. You can control, because it's your phone, you can control what you put out. But like when I'm doing a podcast and let's say, uh, do you have a daughter? I do. Yeah. So like if she came on screen right now and you'd be like, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing a podcast. Like for me, I'm like, it makes the whole podcast. It's like, did right. you see that clip where the guy was on the news and like his kid burst in? And his kid comes and then the <laughs> nanny comes and tries to drag the kid out. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah. It's like, but it's because it's like this guy's being professional. He's doing his job. And then he has this totally human moment, but that's what makes the video. That's, right. it's not just what he says. The, the thing about our work is, and this is something that confuses me. It's so deeply intimate because we can work on naked people. Right. So intimate in touch, but therapists, for some reason, they're averse to creating intimacy online. Hmm. They're averse to creating intimacy and connection with people online. They're like, well, how do I do it? I'm like, well, when, I, when this podcast is over, I'm going to screenshot it. And then I'm going to put like, you know, a clip of it on my Instagram. But it's like, what it does is it tags my account with Deshaun's. So it's like, yeah, I mean, people are interested in me, but they're also interested in other people's voices. So you're right. making connections with people. Like why in the age where like you are working on people very intimately physically, why is this like taboo for both or taboo? Well, it, it, that's an interesting point that you bring up because I remember when I was uh, first, when I was first venturing out and really establishing my business standalone and getting away from working for other people, I was at the chamber of commerce and I was doing this series of social media marketing classes. And I sat with this, one lady, I forget her name. And I said, Hey, do you feel like 
it's necessary to have a personal account and a business account. She goes, well, you can, but here's the question. What are you worried about? I said, well, maybe I have social views that other people don't agree with. Maybe I have political views that other people don't agree with. She goes, you're a massage therapist. Now, mind you, this lady is so far from the world of massage. She goes, you're a massage therapist. You got to sit in a room with somebody and touch them for an hour to two hours. Do you really want people in there that have opposing views? Do you really want, is, are you looking to attract that person? You are looking to attract your people. Yep. I will tell you firsthand. I, I had an experience where uh, during the height of some of the, um, the social issues that were going on um, with police brutality, I had a client who I was working for a chain and I had a client come in and this client was a law enforcement officer and they started asking me racially charged questions and I did not spare them how I felt in regards to what they were asking me but after that conversation I had to find a way to get them out of my client rotation and I did but that was one of those things like we have to start really thinking about that, especially from the the standpoint of longevity. And I don't think a lot of therapists look at it from that standpoint. It's uh, it's the mentality of, hey, I just put up this sign that says I does massage that I do massage, so everyone should show up for massage. And it's no, you should be putting out that light to your people, saying. I am one of your people and I also provide this service. And that's where people have to get comfortable, like you say, with creating that intimacy through the social media, because that is what will draw your people to you. I think when I talk to people, they think um, like in sales, particularly marketing. If you say mm -hmm. sales, you say marketing, they think fake. And I'm like, no. Sales and marketing is this for me. Like, how can I be most enthusiastically me and support therapists, support the public getting help, support resources and education? Mm -hmm. Like, because the thing is, when I go to bed at night, you know, I'm not selling heroin. Like, I'm not selling something that's detrimental to people's health. You know, right. selling something that's so good, like massage therapists, you know, they're very sad right now because they want to work on people and they can't touch right now, which is like a big deal. Like people are having right. threads. They're like, is anybody else kind of going through withdrawals? Like you're used to touching people all the time. And the whole thing is, it's like, we have such a good service, such yes. a wonderful, absolutely needed service in the community. Why not show people what you do? It's true. That's true. We have, we, we've got a few barriers to get past. And one is the big one, like you said, is people in their comfort with doing it, but then also just taking the measures to protect yourself. Um, if you're doing great work, I don't see why your clients or your people wouldn't want to share that. I have people come in. I say, Hey, you care if I take a picture of this or do that? I'm just going to have you right here on the back of your intake form that you're giving me permission to use this, that, and other. Yeah. Simple deal. So, yeah, that, like I said, you know, so many people, I, I, tell, I tell students this all the time. I say, look, 
everybody who you are listening to right now that says, hey, as soon as you are in practice and you're licensed, I'm going to come see you all the time. Your friends, your family, I said, those are not your clients. They're never going to be your clients. Don't believe a word that comes out of their mouth. They say it with all good intentions, but it's not going to happen. They're not going to come pay your 125 an hour. They're not going to, they're not going to pay your 60 an hour. Just don't count on it. You have to be willing to show your work, not just show your title. And that kind of swings back around to the conversation that we keep having about the, uh, the different communities within the massage world where people are so quick to say, I'm over here and I'm over there in title wise and certificate wise. It's like, well, you're still not showing me any work that's any different than the work that I do. So what is it other than the titles that you're giving or proclaiming that you have to show? Yeah. And, and that's, that's something I work in a school. I work in a massage school. That's something that is missing big time is social media marketing. Yeah. So we don't teach it. There's a Ednet massage educators network or something like that. And I went in after coronavirus hit and I said, Hey guys, um, you know, I know you all having challenges because of the coronavirus and you can't go to physically in school. So a lot of you are doing like tele-education stuff. Um, if any of you have interest, I would be happy to live stream into your school and just do like social media related marketing and business classes. Just let me know if you're interested. Crickets. Mm. Right. And it's, it's fine. It's okay. Like I'm, I'm doing it on my own in my own way. But the line between personal and professional, what, what I understood fundamentally years ago was I wasn't overwhelmingly interested in relaxation. It's not that my work isn't relaxation, but relaxation massage wasn't my, my niche. Mm-hmm. I was really dealing with like pain management and mobility. And then I was okay. like, okay, go do this. And I had a close on form, so it was like document this. What it meant for me is when, once you understand the positive feedback loop, so I'm teaching a social media marketing class. I screen share the Facebook business page and they're like, oh, it's frustrating and they keep changing it. And even I'm like, yeah, they keep, yeah, it was, it was different a week ago. They, they altered this and moved it over here or whatever. Why am I willing to go through the process of figuring it out? But here's what happened. I figured out enough of it early enough on where I got a client. And I went, ooh, let's do that again. And you got another client. Mm-hmm. So when you connect, and I think that's the separation I see with students, what they see is, man, TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat and all the social media and video stuff and editing, oh, it's all overwhelming. They don't see the positive feedback loop with the clients they get. Because once they learn how to do this, the getting clients is almost effortless. Right. I mean, like the thing is, you know, when you had a business in the yellow pages and you were triple A massage, you were gonna show up at the top. You had to do that. That was the yellow page game. Now you can run a Facebook ad for $5 a day, target people within a 10 mile radius of your house who make over $100,000 a year and show them an ad. Right. Therapists are still complaining. I'm like, dude, do you know how, people wished (laughs) right they had the access that we do but what it allowed what it led to was the constant ever-present use of social media i went wow like i get to not consume i get to produce content 
I looked at and I flipped that and said, produce, produce, produce. Um, I had a conversation where there was a, a woman who was um, a, older than I am, I would say elderly. She was a grandmother. And I said, you know, massage therapists don't understand what, what Facebook is. This has been years ago I had this conversation. And she said, I know what Facebook is. It's how I get pictures of my grandkids. And I said, no, ma'am. Facebook is how Mark Zuckerberg sells you world's greatest grandma t-shirts. Right. That's right. the difference. That's the difference. It's like, it's an ad platform. I used, when I first used Facebook, it was like, what is this? And then it was like, oh, I can keep in touch with my friends. And what you start doing is you're just giving away tons of data about everything you like and enjoy so they can put ads in your feed. Right, right. And, you know, I think what you hit on a couple of seconds ago, seconds ago is how so many people wish they had that access when it came to marketing. Because when you talk about yellow pages and hanging, hanging flyers and asking the local market, ask, you know, asking the local, the local health food store, hey, can I come set a chair up here on a Saturday morning versus taking, look, if it takes you 20 minutes to, to find your way through a Facebook ad, once you get in there and it says age 35 to 50, income is this, they live here, their interest are this, that, and the other. You see why it's worth it. Yeah. You see why it's worth it. But it goes back to what you were saying a second ago. The reason that Facebook is able to do that is because once Facebook graduated from being this platform that was only for college students and became one for everyone and people started liking and sharing and all of that, they really did create this, this AI platform that was like, that's what it is. Facebook is an advertising platform. You can't even watch the videos on there anymore without it pausing for 15 to 20 seconds for you to watch a Toyota commercial. Facebook as a company, because it is so pervasive, I think people think Facebook is a public utility. No, it's not. And it, it's so far from it. It's a company. It is so far from it. Right. Yes. Right. And, thing. and once I understood, it's like, what's Twitter? What's Instagram? What's Snapchat? What's I had a friend, he was on Snap, he loves Snapchat. And I'm like, dude, are you sure you want to put that on Snapchat? Like they're collating all your data. And he's like, no, man, that's not no, it's not like that. They don't they don't know that. And I'm like, <laughs> and we argued about it for like five minutes. And I got my laptop and I went, Snapchat ads. And then it pulled down an entire sheet and listed the data that it had on people. Like, in other words, like geographic location, you know, and like uh, broken down by age, broken down by interest. And I was like, oh, like this? And he's like, oh my God, they know all of that? He's like, I have to stop mm -hmm. using Snapchat. <laughs> right. They, yeah, they, they tricked you with that. They tricked you with the thought that every time you post something, it disappears. Like, you think it disappeared. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a strange, you know, different world. I really think fundamentally the problem we have, it's not just a massage industry problem. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, the more I deal with marketing in the massage industry, the more I see marketing challenges in other similar industries. Yoga teachers, personal trainers, small businesses, the local dentist, you know, they're really like, man, I mean, I don't, what do I do with this? 
I don't understand. They keep telling me I'm supposed to do this social media thing. I'm a dentist. Like I deal with cavities. What? And the thing is, I can teach people how to use it, but they really have to learn to be comfortable on camera and just develop their own voice. Right. You know, right. What is it you're most interested in? Are you the dentist who's going to be on TikTok doing dances, you know, with your staff? Or are you the dentist who's going to do informational base? Listen, this is why you floss. This is what I want you to know as a dentist. This is good. You know, it's like you can choose. And that's what I think is so interesting. It's like, why are therapists, massage therapists specifically, why do they feel so beaten down and downtrodden? when they have more opportunity for success than at any time in history? That's a very good question. You, this, is, this is something that you've tapped into, and I, I feel like I've tapped into it also, and I have to keep myself from getting lost in the sauce of it. These social media platforms are so much greater than them just being that social media platform. I, I always said um, the biggest trick social media played on, on humans was convincing us that we were actually being social. And it's a consumption tool. And there are, like you said, you can produce or you can consume. It's a conversation you asked if I have kids. I've got 17-year-olds. I have this conversation with them all the time. I said, look, you need to change your ratio of consumption and production. You guys are talented. You know how to do this, this, this. You have people contacting you, asking you to create this, and you're not charging them money. Yeah. Those people will pay you $30 for that thing that you just did. Yeah. I'd pay you for that thing that you just did. So people in general have gotten so conditioned to the thought that they are being social with social media that even when you go into a profession that is dependent on your activity, it's dependent on you marketing yourself, it's dependent on what information you put out there to draw people in, your brain, you have to switch your brain over to say, let me use Facebook to help do this. Let me use IG and let me use, let me use these platforms versus I sat at my computer and I looked up stuff and I read a book and I talked to somebody and I went down to my office today and now I get to veg out on social media. It's like, no, you need to be marketing yourself on there. Well, when you one, talk one, about marketing, if you talk about networking, this is what I find. Like my, the positive feedback loop made me like marketing eventually. The positive mm -hmm. feedback loop made me like networking. The positive feedback loop made me like thinking about target marketing. When I say networking, social media marketing, target marketing, networking, therapists are like, oh, I don't like to do all that. I just want to do massage. Well, you know, that is where you have to make it. And, and, I, and I have the same conversation. And when therapists say that, now, you, now you're forced to not be lazy in your decision process. Because that's another thing, like the laziness can surface in so many places. So cool, you don't want to do all of that, but now you have to be proactive and not lazy in your decision-making process. And your decision now goes to, do I want to throw, throw shit against the wall and hope it sticks? Or do I want a guaranteed paycheck? So if you want 
a guaranteed paycheck and you just want to do massage, then you have to lower your income standard and yep. you've got to go over here and work for someone else that doesn't have a problem doing what you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Or you stop saying, I don't want to do that and you do it. Because guess what? 95% of us massage therapists, if you would have told us, hey, take out this loan, give the money to the school, you don't have to show up, here's your license, go practice. We wouldn't have went to school. I didn't want to sit in massage school for a year, but I wanted to be a massage therapist. I don't necessarily want to go out door to door and do a lot of marketing, so to say, but I want to have my own clientele. I want to have my people come in to see me. So I do that. I get involved in different events. I put information out there. I like that, like you said, the positive loop feedback. I love when people see the videos that I have and actually read, uh, read the messages that I put under them and respond. I love when people say, hey, that right there is the thing that drew me to you. When we talk about the social media, I do have, you know, different, I have different areas where I will talk a lot of crap and say whatever I feel. You come up, you and I are actual Facebook friends. So I'll post something that has nothing to do with massage and you'll jump on it. <laughs> and it we, we, we do that with each other all the time. But I also say to myself, my business name is this. Yeah. If someone looks it up and they come to my business page, what are the first five things they're going to see? If they look that up and it brings them to my Instagram, what are they going to see on there? Yes, I'm a bodybuilder, but I don't need people to see bodybuilding pics all day long. I need them to see things that have to do with movement proficiency, massage, the work that I do, and maybe a little bit of my personal life in the story, but not if they go to my main screen and see 20 pictures. Yeah. So those are the things that I think about. Those are the things that I have to decide what I really want to do and what I don't want to do. I'm not in love with having to make videos every single day and think about the content, but guess what? I do it because I don't want to have to go work for someone the only, else. The only issue I have with what you just said is think about the content. I don't even know the last time I had to think about what I was going to shoot. Like, I'm just like, okay, just pick something. Like, because it's just a long string of videos. Uh, Simon Sinek uh, said something in a video I've watched. Um, and he said something that stuck with me. He said, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. People don't okay. buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Like, I'm Robert Gardner. I'm a massage therapist. Nobody cares. I'm Robert Gardner. Listen, I was injured by a drunk driver when I was 22. And I basically dedicated my life to getting out of chronic pain. And now I help people in chronic pain. Which one you want to buy from? That, that right there, that is, that is so true. And that goes, that goes right along with uh, what I said earlier, so far as knowing who I wanted to work with. I have a high number of clients who are bodybuilders and clients who are athletes and, and MMA guys and so forth and so on. And they're not coming to me because I'm a massage therapist. They're like, oh, you're a bodybuilder. You get it. You do this because you like helping other bodybuilders. You got into it because you were a trainer. So what you're saying, what you're saying, there's 
to me, it is 110% true. They don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Why you do it. And there's always a commodity market. I mean, you know, oil. Oil is a commodity. I need oil. You know. Right. Like shoes are a commodity. I need shoes. But why do people buy Nike? That brand conversation is something that really sank into my brain at some point. What happens with brand is Dijon is the brand. Right. The students in school, the students who are struggling, they're going to get out and they're not going to want to work for massaging you. You are the brand. You have a device in your pocket that allows you to put out information globally. That's true. No That's limits. very true. Now, let's go back to iced tea. If I see what it had this, you didn't even have to go into the studio. You could just press a button and lay out a rhyme. Well, well when, you, when you say that, you look at iced tea. So you and I, I, I think you and I are relatively close in age. So, yeah. yeah so when you look at iced tea and his career and not having that phone, and now you look at all of the up and coming 18, 19, 25 year old rappers, they're making their music mm -hmm. in their bedroom yep. on their phone. There you go. And uh, when I had a conversation with Monica Morris, she's in Atlanta. We had this conversation and because she's in Atlanta and really likes hip hop, we started talking about Outkast. And I was trying to explain to her like, listen, from a, from a hip hop vantage point, you're saying, but I don't, I'm not a, I'm not in hip hop. I don't rap and I don't play music. And I'm like, but you do massage. Mm -hmm. Right. The video, the video, make it your style. Like, and the thing is, don't right. influence your art. Like I'm not heavily involved in video editing. When this podcast goes up, it's pretty much going to go up raw. I'm not going to edit it right now. I don't even have a banner underneath. doesn't matter. We'll, we'll, yeah. improve. we'll get better. But if you really cared about editing and you made a 15 second video of you doing massage and now you upload it to TikTok and you grab a Missy Elliott song and stick it on there. Now you just made a video for Missy Elliott song with massage as a focus. Right. Right. And it's, it's funny that you say that because that is one of the things that I find joy in is video editing. And, you know, I have a iPhone and it's got its own program on there. And sometimes you have to kind of backdoor to get the right music on there. Cause it'll licensing all the other stuff. It doesn't <laughs> let you do, but, um, you know, being able to take a video or I have so many different clips, putting five clips together, speeding them up, slowing them down, adding some voiceover, putting music on, speeding it up, slowing it down and making things. When you say authenticity, making it, true to who you are as a practitioner, who you are as a person. And there, you know, there, there is this part where we start meshing the personal, who we are with the business side. Um, I am, I stand where I stand on it. I feel like there does have to be some kind of line. You, there's some things that, like for instance, I tell people all the time, when I was a personal trainer, I could talk about sitting up and drinking and smoking all night. And my clients thought it would, was hilarious if I showed up to train them with a hangover. When I became a massage therapist, there was nothing appealing to me personally 
about the thought of smelling like alcohol while I'm working on somebody for an hour and a half, right? That is something that changed the course of my life because I pulled that aspect out. Now, from a social media standpoint, being a massage therapist and being a person who is really in the health and fitness industry and you talk about not hope happy that cameras weren't around back then. I could tell you these stories of when I was a personal trainer and it was like once in a while this would happen, but I would never want to be at work saying, oh my God, I was just so messed up last night. Like that just wouldn't be the thing. And it's the same now. There, there always has to be a point where you ask yourself, is the information or the peek into your life that you're putting out there going to detract mm -hmm. from the from people because even even not just within the, the massage community people are going to you're given a snapshot we've seen this so many times where there's a picture and the frame is this big but you move it over here and down here and this little corner makes it look like it's something totally different than what the whole picture is and you have you do have to be cognizant of that when you are doing your social media like I said, you don't want you don't want the first thing someone sees on your social media with nothing else but that to be that one thing that drives them away because there's a misunderstanding. Sure. But the, and you know that like I said, that's just that's where I am. That that's not for everyone. You get to determine it. Right. It's your choice. You get to determine how authentic. If you have kids, you can talk about the kids or not have the kids. You, you get a choice. You get a choice. Right. And the thing is, you put out your own message and you get to respond to people. Like when you were saying about like, you know, what kind of video to shoot. You know, if you did a Facebook Live once a week for 30 minutes and you just said, hey, ask a massage therapist. You know, you start promoting it. You get clients to come on and just ask you questions and you answer based on whatever they're, they're asking. You know, there's tons of ways of like engaging and reaching out. And if anything, as the technology continues to change, like for me to sit down and try to tell massage therapists to use TikTok to build their business as a, as a support, they're like, that's, mm -hmm. the dumb, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The only thing on TikTok <laughs> is like 15 year old dancing girls. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's not right. I know you, I know what you think it is, but these platforms age up. The platforms yes. age up. The technology well, ages up. Well, people don't realize, let's see, this is 2020. So in 2001, 2002, Facebook was only for college students. You had to have a university or college email address in order to even register with Facebook. So it wasn't until about 2003, 2004 that they started opening it up to everyone of all ages. And at one point, it's funny, I remember at one point you had to say that you were 18 just to get that Facebook page. I don't know if they still do that anymore. I never had to do it. But when you say, when you say it ages up, you're correct. There is a 35-year-old parent with a 10-year-old convincing them to do a TikTok video and now this parent's gonna create a TikTok account. And then they're gonna fall in and do something and they're gonna convince grandma to create a TikTok account. It keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. 
when's the last time you heard of anybody doing something on MySpace? It's going to keep going. They're going to consistently grow. So you're, you're completely right about that. And it's, a, it's amazing to me when people scoff at uh, using the newer social media platforms for marketing themselves. For me, it's interesting because I, I didn't come to it easily. It, it came slowly and incrementally over time. I hoped into just enough of that positive reinforcement to go make some more YouTube videos. Oh, okay, let's make a blog post. Oh, wow, I'm starting to get clients. And like, as I kept, it was like, let's do more. Like, mm-hmm. why do I podcast? Why do I have you on the, the show? Well, you know what? It opens the doors. It, well, when you, when you look at podcasts, plain and simple, it opens the doors for other therapists to see other therapists. It also gives room for you to put it out for the general public who don't know things that you and I know to hear what I have to say. And then I get to utilize it also. So it opens the, it just opens doors. You're in Washington. I'm in Texas. People are like, I don't understand. How's it going to build business? I'm like, listen, it's going to be another YouTube video, another LinkedIn video, another clipped Instagram video promoting across all these channels, putting a backlink to you on my email list when I link it there. It's promoting your business, it's promoting my business, it's promoting the massage marketplace. And what it does is just the fact that I have a podcast makes me some sort of authority. I'm in my garage. <laughs> right. <laughs> on my laptop. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And- but the thing that you care enough to put out video, it's just like having a brick and mortar establishment. Ooh, they have a place. Like they, they're really doing something. Right. Well, that will, if we start, if, if therapists start looking at other businesses that have grown, um, just from the standpoint of where they started, did Amazon always have these giant warehouses? No. You know, what was the, what's the other, uh, eBay? There's somebody right now making millions of dollars off of eBay and they started off just having their garage stocked with things and it was their store. It's, we have to really start looking at it from that standpoint. It's not always, in the beginning, it is not because we think it's going to bring the clientele, it's because we have a desire to put knowledge and information out there. The end result is people seeing that and coming to us. And along with that, like you said, and I, 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 I have to just jump on that. You are establishing yourself as the authority. Brand. Personal brand. When I did the conversation with Monica, you could see it in Monica where she she lit up, where it was like, wow, like he's making like parallels between massage and marketing and like hip hop and marketing. And it's like Monica, right. loud and proud, baby. Like you're in an ATL. Go get it. It's yours. This is yes. get rich or die trying. Like to me, you know, like, yeah, some people might complain for whatever reason. Like people don't like iced tea. Who cares? To, for me to understand, wow, like I have the power to put out a message and be able to draw my people in and make a living doing what I actually love to do as opposed to just, not that I don't like HEB, but as opposed to just bagging groceries for a company that I didn't really want to work for. You know, you can right. do heart-filled, heart-resonant work. That, to me, is why I do the podcast, 
it's like it's why I do all the video and all the social media stuff and learn all these bits and pieces because it allows me to get where I wanted to go, which is helping more people. So like right. as a teacher, they'll say sometimes, well, those who can't, you know, teach, those who do or those who can do and those who can't teach. And I go, dude, if I work on one person at a time, what kind of impact am I going to make? Right. Now, if, I teach, person. if I teach 100 <laughs> students a year to do what I do, what kind of impact does it make? Right. It's like, because it's a bigger impact. Well, a podcast goes out across podcast platforms. This video goes up on YouTube. We have global distribution from my garage in Austin, Texas. Like, it's a very different world than the Yellow Pages. The, the people, and frankly, and this is not just massage therapists, by the way. This is a lot of businesses. I talk to businesses, and they, there is a certain point when I discuss business where I, I can feel them withdraw and start to get afraid. And they're like, this guy's an anarchist. He's in favor of just ab, just no control. And I'm like, this is the internet. There isn't a lot of control. Like, right. What, I mean, in other words, to me, it's like, why would, okay, if I, if we went back to, we, let's go back to 1918 when the Spanish flu happened. Let's go back to like 1920, 100 years ago. If you told people, listen, you'll have a small portable device in your pocket that would allow you to communicate with anybody on earth via text, via video, what do you think business people would have done with it? In 1920? Yeah. Dude, that's 100 years. Oh, my it's goodness. Like, and, that, and the thing is, you know, like 100 years, that feels like a chasm. This is like – right. You know, 1914 was World War II. I don't know. What, I'm not sure. What no, that was, that was World War One. World War, oh, that's what it was. Yeah, World War One. Yeah. yeah. So World right. War One. But the thing is, it's like that's only been 100 years. The thing is, I think even when I first saw the Internet in 1995, I was in college when I first used it. It okay. didn't even – I there was a commercial application. I'm like, whoa, dude, nobody's going to put a credit card on the Internet. Oh, my, somebody will steal that. Things change. It's Big time. It, it, and that's the thing. It's like, it's not about TikTok. It's not about Twitter. It's not about Facebook. It's about the underlying technology of information distribution. You know, it's like networks, I'm sorry, um, in-person networking, shaking hands, going to meetings or meetups, you know, billboards, print, newspaper, door hangers, all that stuff is still there. We just added a whole layer of digital stuff on top. And the advantage right. to the digital stuff is we've collected more data. Have you ever sent out postcards and had them returned, like with bad addresses? No, I've, I've, I'm lucky to not have had to send <laughs> postcards. I have not had to send mass postcards. I, that, that's one thing I'll say I'm lucky to, to have a business that started in the times of large emails. Now, that's another thing. But that's almost the same thing. People switch email address has switched email addresses so much. I've had a lot of returned emails. Sure. So yeah. one of the things I'm most interested in, I uh, years ago, maybe uh, six seven years ago, um, I, I I started my business heavily, like in education, with email. Basically, uh, gave away okay. a free time massage workbook, got people on my email list, and then continued a conversation with them. Email in the last year or two. I can feel it starting to fall out of favor. 
Mm. I'm not saying don't have an email list. I'm saying that I talk to subscribers and I go, hey guys, that drip course that you get a, a new, you know, a new lesson each week. It's got emails that go with it. And the, the person's like, yeah, I'll check email. And I go, right. Like I structured, <laughs> it's, if it's, you know, 52 weeks in a year, you know, there's like 24 emails here that you're not going to get because you don't check email. And I'm going, how does he run a business if you don't check email? What, what is going on? And he's like, I want text messages. And I go, right. What? And I'm like, you want me to text you? Like, cause to me, text is way more intimate than email. But the thing is, I started polling subscribers and they're like, yeah, we prefer text. And I go, let me go look up SMS marketing and try to figure it out because I'm, I'm willing to do it. I'll communicate with people where they are. It's why I'm on right. TikTok. People are there. That's why. It's why I'm on all the platforms. I'm just putting out messages to people and interacting with people and trying to build a business and put out information. If people want information via text, I am painfully aware that text is not email and email is not TikTok and TikTok is not YouTube. Uh, the students always want to use like Hootsuite. They want to use software where they make a post one time and it populates to every platform. They're like, what software do you use for that? And I'm like, I don't. Like, I actually talk to people on Twitter. Like, I engage with them. I right. do that on every platform. People, if, if YouTube, sometimes it doesn't always send me comments to my YouTube videos, but I actually go and comment to people's comments and talk with them because it boosts engagement. It boosts reach. The difference is I feel like in-person networking is understood and appreciated. I don't feel like digital networking is appreciated in the massage industry at all. Digital networking takes effort and it's not the effort of doing, it's the effort in, of learning how to. And when I say how to, it's not the actions as much as understanding each platform and what's the, the way that it's of benefit to you. Like when you talk about the engagement, that's YouTube's thing. If you're not at responding when people comment on videos, if you're not in there and going back and forth and keeping it up to date, your YouTube, it, it's pointless. It's yeah. worthless. Uh, Facebook, not so much. Facebook, getting people to share your stuff a little bit of in, uh, a little bit of engagement and keeping people rotating if they are not people who engage you. Instagram, that one's a tricky one. It's always going to be out. Well, and here's the thing. If you start talking about multiple platforms, I'll see it in the students. They start to get just like, just a little overwhelmed. And I understand mm -hmm. what it is, is it's juggling. And if you, if you learn how to juggle, you throw one ball. Right. And then you go, okay, two. And then when you get to three, that's a big bite. Oh, okay. Now we got to like go hand to hand. Well, mm -hmm. once you do three, then it's like evens and odds are relatively similar. Like, in other words, the evens are similar, the odds are similar. You can go from three to then four, then five. And once you build up to six or seven or whatever, it's like other people think it's a genius. Wow, how does he do that? But it's just practice. Right. For, for me, it was like, I, and I really, I really do think this sometimes. I was blocked by massage facilities who wouldn't let me do clothes on mat-based work. And I was massaged by massage schools who wouldn't let me teach clothes on that base work. And I got pinned into a corner where I was like, I'm going to do this. I don't care if you never seen it. I'm going to, this is what I'm doing. Like you got to get out of my way. And once right. I did that, it was like, okay, Ooh, wow. Like 
the internet. That's free. I can make a video, people are clothed, and you realize there's no barrier of entry. Right. You make video, as many videos, keep going, keep building, and here's the thing, even the people, because you gotta get the early adopters, and I think that's where the authenticity, the line between personal and professional comes. When you're authentic and you're lazy, because you don't have to put on a facade, you don't have to fake anything, you draw the people who like you, and then you draw their friends, and you draw their family, and those are your people. When you do that consistently, and you do it in a like, digital landscape as well, it's like your life starts to be filled with success and the problems of prosperity, which are like, oh, well, how do I, okay, I'm not on SMS, like, how do I manage text messages in addition? You know, not because I just want to spam people. No, I actually want people to be able to get information that works for them. When the right. students don't answer email, I can't give them good stuff. When they don't check their Facebook inbox, which they think is private, by the way, they don't get good stuff. You know, it's like, I'll give you information where you are, but the massage industry can't fight the smartphone. Like, this has the capacity right. to change the entire conversation about our industry. It does. Massage it does. sexuality and nudity. Every massage therapist in America could start making videos tomorrow that would change the entire discussion of what we are in the public's eye. You got a good point there. You got a good point. And that is 10 times stronger than going on a witch hunt for the people you think are doing. <laughs> the, the, people, the people that you think are doing the damage to our industry. Um, like, why go on the witch hunt? That per and that's what's so, it's, it's super, it's funny because we talked about uh, Mr. The one guy. We don't have we don't have to bring Mr. Pure his name. <laughs> Pure Relief. Yeah, Mr. Pure Relief. Talked about Mr. Pure Relief. People, I see his stuff posted all the time, and th people pose these questions: Would you be okay with this? 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 And then every so often, there's a massage therapist who I will never repost his stuff. I'm just not going to because exactly. he's doing. He's doing something that I don't exactly. do, so I don't need it to be associated with me. But here's the deal. Instead of me going on a witch hunt and making posts and worried about what he's doing and what he's not doing, I just make my own videos of what I do. And if everybody just follows suit, there you go. And, and in the end, I felt backed into a corner, and then I wound up on the internet. And once you wound up on the internet, it was like, oh, wow. If I figure out more about like digital distribution, there's no real limit to like the marketplace. Well, like, there, there's, your, there's your music analogy. That's the same thing you were saying about the music. It's not, I mean, it is massage. Like, you know, uh, a massage video isn't Missy Elliott. I understand that. Mm -hmm. you know, until you're big enough to get Missy Elliott to make a video with you and she does a soundtrack. <laughs> but, well, you know, so, like, see. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so the funny thing I thought about when you were saying that earlier, um, you have these music artists, right? And they are creating songs and they haven't blown up yet, but they have this umpteen thousand amount of followers that listen to them and pay attention to them on social media. 
at what point do we start thinking along the lines of saying, hey, hey, uh, little skinny, little skinny kid or whoever, <laughs> why don't you give me one of your songs and I'm going to put it on my page behind this and that's going to promote your song and then you share my video. Have you ever seen, do you know Lil Dicky? Yes. Uh, so I think the song, I think is it Save That Money? I have, I, I'm familiar with them, but I don't know. So Little Dicky is hilarious to me because when we talk about authentic, right? So mm -hmm. I think Little Dicky's from somewhere on the East Coast, Jewish, and he makes a lot of little jokes about it. But it's like instead of hip hop being like bling, like I got all this money, Little Dicky is talking about saving that money. <laughs> and what right. he does in the video is, dude, it's like um, I saw Tony Robbins say this. It's like you don't lack resources, you lack resourcefulness. Okay. And what Lil Dicky did is in the video, you can go watch it, go find Lil Dicky. I like Lil Dicky, follow Lil Dicky. Lil Dicky, hit me up, we'll have you on the podcast. Um, he goes up to this lady's house. It's a big, huge mansion. And he said, oh, ma'am, uh, my name's, you know, so-and-so, Richard or Dick or whatever, Lil Dicky. I'm a rapper. Um, I want to shoot a video in a big, nice house. Could I use your home for like 30 minutes to shoot a video? And this is in the music video. He goes, okay. he goes to a car dealership and says, man, can I drive one of your Lamborghinis? Like in my video, I'll put a, I'll put a link <laughs> to, your, to your car place in the video. I'm a, I'm a rapper. I'm Lil Dicky. And then what was more hilarious, he went to another rapper's video shoot. And he used all of that rapper's extras as dancers in the video. <laughs> Because he's like, I'm saving that money. Because <laughs> he didn't have to pay. And it's like, right. that is the same sort of like humor that I have about, you know, building our practices. Um, sometimes yeah. with the students, like I'm trying to build a brand. And I think students understand that. But I never interact with students to try to explain to them that they, they're not a success and they, unless they do exactly what I've done. No. Right. Like, I'm, I'm really trying to get like that individuality. The individuality humanizes the massage marketplace. It humanizes the brand. If like yes. if more people had uh, women in our industry telling stories about basically, you know, being sexually accosted by people, I think people would have a totally different like view of our marketplace and what actively goes on. Because with women in particular, we're men. We have a slight, slightly different issues in the industry. Women have right. issues with safety. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, that's that's a I I'll say what you said to me on uh the previous podcast. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> and it, it's a it's a it's a whole it's a it's a completely different conversation. And it's one that uh I can't even speak to it. There's a there is a safety and comfort that I have as a massage therapist being a man but there's also a flip side to it of concern i have that i spoke on earlier somebody pops up in my schedule i'm gonna go look them up who is this person you know uh so i had someone else bring this up and i thought this was great um sarah newberry i'm actually waiting on a file to get converted so i can upload the podcast with her because of the coronavirus and uh people's acceptance of zoom very quickly not that it wasn't around, but it, it, it jumped, it popped very quickly because people were at such a distance. 
she was saying, because she's a woman in the industry looking at these issues, she said women can interview their clients on Zoom before they ever come into the office. Nice. You can screen your clients in video. And I go, yes. Yes. Because it means more security. It means people get comfortable on video. It means you get to connect with people and determine whether it's a good match for you as a therapist. The service of the massage itself might not change, but the technology around it is shifting rapidly. Massage, we're going to see a we're going to see a huge change by force with the situation we have at hand. And there's also going to be a change by um creating the new norm. I said this a few days ago. People want to get back to to what they deem as normal so badly and that was never normal there was never a, there was never anything normal about what people deem as normal but folks like yourself <clears throat> there is an ushering in of a new way for a massage therapist when you said <clears throat> excuse me what you just said about um being able to zoom do a zoom conference with a client before you meet with them Honestly, every therapist should do it. It should definitely be a safety protocol for, for ladies, but every therapist should do it. Somebody schedules with you and you've never met them, do a Zoom conference. You should do a Zoom conference just for check-ins with your clients um, to see how things went. Follow-up. Right. Follow-up via Zoom, or if you don't like that, like say you want something quicker. If they follow you on Instagram, why can't you send a client an Instagram message? Hey, Richard, listen, it was really great working with you. You know, use the tennis ball like I showed you on a tricep. If you have any questions, please reach out. Right. That's a perfect use of like technology as current. That's very easy and accessible. But that's where I, it's like um, even paper forms, if you can avoid them, like do people really want to fill out paper forms? Would they prefer to get an email in advance and fill it out? Yeah, we just, and you know, those are just those things that we have to make, make the change for, but you're right. So far as the, uh, the usage of the social media for the follow-up or the, uh, the check-in, but it all starts leaning back on, we have to get therapists to accept that social media is, it has that ability. And it's not just a veg out tool for you at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it's just not. As a business owner, um, for me, I, I do use social media for entertainment. I mean, I do scroll on Facebook and see right. what people are doing, see what's out there. But primarily, these tools are production tools. Once I shifted into that mindset, it was like I stepped back from the mass of society and went, oh, my God, they don't even see it going on. They don't understand, like Ed Snowden level data collection, like they have no idea that people are collating their data. Like, but right. as an advertiser, like people might be happy that they get my stuff because it's in an ad. They don't think about the fact that I've paid for their data. Right, right. You know, um, I had someone explain to me, so Facebook, how it will cap you out on the amount of friends you can have. There are so many there are so many people who have capped out their friends 
then sent people over to their business page or their fan page or whatever. And someone comes in and goes, hey, Johnny, I'm going to pay you $2,500 a month to let me put a back door on your Facebook page so that I can market to all of those people that are on your page. They're not going to know I'm doing it through you, but I'm going to write you this check. (laughs) Yep. And and so, and here's the thing, what what it gets to is a point of, and I didn't, I don't think I quite clearly mentioned this. When we talked about, you take out your phone, you make stuff, they really got to a line where I started to think about social media ethics. To ethics? The ethics of making social media posts. The right. reason I don't share Mr. Pure Relief's stuff is one, enough people share it already. And two, do I really want to support what Mr. Pure Relief does? Right. Because they'll share it, massage therapists will share it in Facebook group to complain. And I go, man, if somebody doesn't like his work, you sure do promote it real well. And they're like, I don't promote his work. I'm like, you just mm-hmm. shared to 15,000 people. Yeah. You don't share my videos. Hey, I'm pretty certain I was in a, in a group. I was in a group. It might have been, uh, well, I was in a group and someone shared it. And it was just amazing to me to look at therapists argue back and forth about whether it was okay or if they were okay getting it and so forth and so on. Not to cut you off, but. If everybody, oh, no, no, no. So I'll cut everybody off. I, I grew up in South Louisiana. People talk over each other. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's about ethics. It's like, mm-hmm. I really told, I told people, I mean, listen, create the social media posts you want to see in the world. Right. If you think there's not enough people paying attention to, to older people, to el- the elderly, I told massage therapists, I'm going to listen, guys, here's, here's how you're going to do it. If you work on seniors and you work on the elderly, you work on a population that's maybe, maybe around an age of like a nursing home, I want you to go and set your phone up on a tripod and I want you to interview Rose for 10 minutes and I want you to rub Rose's hands and her arms and ask her about her life and get you to tell her about her husband who died just after World, in World War II and then talk about her kids and talk about her life experience. And then I want you to put that video up and see how people respond because they're not responding to massage, they're responding to the story. They're right. Like, wow, they went and helped those old people at that old folks home. Like I got to connect with that. And that's what I don't see a lot of in the industry. Even me, I still feel fledgling when it comes to social media. Like I'm still trying to figure it out, but there's something about the story that like pulls on people's heartstrings. So it's like, do people buy because of logic, because they need a massage, or do they buy because of like their emotions and how they feel? Right. And I think right. they buy and because of this. It's yeah. It's all. It's it is how they feel. That's that's really what it comes down to. They there's science behind that. There is, listen taking massage out of it and just talking about people buying because of how they feel. There's no part of me that said, Hey, car dealerships are going to be dropping their prices like crazy during this pandemic. Let me go put myself in debt. But somebody is walking into a dealership right now after having missed three weeks of work, not getting relief for the, the money that they're missing. And they just walked out of there with $400 more per month worth of debt because they love the way it felt to drive the, the road in that car. Mm-hmm. And there is no thought for them that 
things may not go back to where they were. It's literally, this felt great, I'm doing it. Yeah. It's, there, there's science behind it. There is science behind it. And the, the lucky side for us as massage therapists, talking about the social media and the work we do, we get to put information out there that make people feel good because they've received information. We get to put information out there that uh, tells people what we will do that will make them feel better. And then we get to do the work that makes them feel better. So it really is all the way around on our end about the feeling. I saw a Coke commercial one time and I was just, Coke is, Coke's branding is amazing. I mean, can anybody, <laughs> even if you don't drink yes. soda, like it's high fructose corn, corn syrup laden sugar water. And it's like their marketing is amazing. I'm like the logo, the colors, the everything, right? And there was a, an ad, it was a before a movie. And I'm 42 and I'm sitting watching this and there's like a um, sort of a high school age couple maybe they're 15, you know, maybe they're on their first date. They're on a, you know, a, a carnival ride or like a Ferris wheel. And like he, he reaches out, you know, to hold her hand or something just nice and sweet. And it like drums up all this feelings of like being a young person and just discovering girls and love and all these complex emotions. And I'm like, this is a high fructose corn syrup ad. How do you make me feel like all this stuff in like 90 seconds right know, because it drummed up all these feelings i like associating those feelings with their product i was like so blown, blown away because i was like oh i want a coke you know <laughs> yes yeah 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 i mean you know, you know I, <laughs> no i was just gonna say it. i i still remember to this day being a kid and getting a fresh pair of uh basketball shoes and just and believing in my brain that I was going to go play basketball like Michael Jordan because I had those shoes on my feet yeah so it, yeah <laughs> yeah I mean there's a lot of you know the ethics right like I've had I've had millennials um work with me and they were always like it was weird because you know, everybody knows the concept of a funnel and people start up here and then you funnel them down to more exclusive or higher cost services. But what mm -hmm. they wanted to do was they wanted to make sausage. They filled the thing and they just get on top and start jumping, trying to squeeze people down through the funnel. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't we just get some more people and just scale it out more? Like, right. why are you trying to force the issue? It was like they wanted to squeeze the data for more income. Squeeze, you gotta, you gotta get them out of the subscription. You gotta get them to pay thousands of dollars. And I'm like, we have digital distribution globally. Why don't we just get more people? Like, I don't, right. and the thing is, that's what I mean about the ethics of posting in social media. I rarely, rarely post about politics. Um, rarely post about religion because those are hot button issues. And who's going to agree? It's like, yeah, like, every, like every, everybody, everybody. It's like I mentioned, I mentioned President Trump. I hate President Trump. I love President Trump. Like, okay, cool. Well, however people feel, but it's very divisive and I don't find that it builds my business. So I tend to shy right. away from those and engage in stuff that I do find interesting that I think might promote that personal brand. When I think about the ethics, it's not just in ads and running ads contacting people so um uh, uh, uh what is his name 
Zaid Admani. Zaid Admani is a TikToker I discovered who does financial advice. I've seen him talk about index funds and all this other investing stuff. Really great, really funny, does little skits and characters. Um, I found him on Instagram, and then on Instagram, I wrote him a private message and was like inviting him to be on the podcast because mm -hmm. I'd like to branch out from wellness, includes financial well-being, includes economic okay. policy and whatever. So when I interact with people like that, the platforms are giving me access to Zaid's information. Now, I could have just, because you can, you can go to people's inbox and just spam them and go, hey, buy my stuff. Like, if you don't know me, it's just spam. Right. There's no connection to me. There's an ethics behind, like, how do I choose to interact with people? So when I said, hey, Zaid, listen, I'd love to have you on my podcast. One, I let go of any expectation that he actually does it. Two, I follow him on another platform. And what I did here was I did a series of stories and I talked about him and I tagged him in one of the posts so my followers can follow him because I find his, his ethics to be high and he's sharing okay. educational content and I'm trying to connect with him. The easiest way to connect with somebody is to open doors. When I open doors to more followers, then the other night he was on TikTok and it was a live. It showed up in my feed, I pressed on it. We go live and I go, hey Zaid, listen, I still wanna have you on the podcast. He had never responded. And he was like, oh, oh yeah, Robert, listen, I just had a real busy day at work, just contact me next week. But why is he more likely to be on the podcast? He may never, but if he does, it's because you gave him value. Right. It's because you, you, you gave before you said, give me money. You gave right. before you said, give me, that's mine. <laughs> right, right. That, you know, uh, what is it that, uh, what was the name of the book that Gary V? is it Jab, Jab, Punch? Jab, Jab, Right Hook. Jab, Jab, it's okay. So the, that's the premise. That is the premise. You deliver, deliver value before you ask. Um, I think that's the same thing because even with, on the more, uh, micro level, when we're dealing with clients, I had a, I had an interesting situation. I went in to see someone, um, they were a, I forget, they, a Reiki practitioner and I was running behind. I told them flat out, look, if you need to charge me, charge me. It's my fault. They say, no, no, no. That's totally fine. You come on in. We'll still get things going. We hadn't done the session yet, and they already started presenting packages to me. And at yeah. that moment, right then and there, I was just like, I don't even know that I'm going to be able to appreciate any work that you do because you've already tried to sell me versus delivering the value of your service. Um, so even when we deal with clients, if you're a person who likes to do packages, you don't just walk up and say, hey, I know you're coming to see me, but if you give me $800 right now, you can have this many. That means nothing. It means nothing whatsoever. And we have to really start looking at that, even from the standpoint of when you talk about marketing, the the going out and hand-to-hand -hand marketing isn't always it's still it's not as effective as it used to be but when someone shares your 
post or when someone gives you a shout out, it makes more sense that they believe in what you're doing because you've delivered to ask them to do that than it does to just hit somebody up. Hey, I saw you were watching my video. Can you share it? Yeah. So uh, Carlos Gill is another one. Um, I asked Carlos recently on Twitter to be on the podcast and didn't get a response, but he's inordinately busy. Um, Carlos wrote a book um, about social media marketing and he, so long story short, I knew him online. Uh, I said something about his book. I need to get a copy. And he's like, what are you waiting for? It was like on Twitter. I bought a copy of the book. And then after that, I was like, Hey man, I really, I was on Twitter. Like, Hey, I really like your book. And he's like, Oh, what do you think about it? And then he's like, Hey, would you write a review? So he gave me like a link to Amazon or something like that. And then mm -hmm. I thought about it and it was like, okay, I could write an Amazon review. That's going to help him. I was like, why don't I do like a YouTube video and review his book, which I did. And then mm -hmm. I sent Carlos a link to the YouTube video and said, Hey, here's where I re reviewed the beginning of the book. And I still think I wrote an Amazon review if I remember correctly, but it was like, what happens is in a weird way, I'm giving Carlos something of value because I review his book. But what I'm doing is I'm connecting with Carlos. I'm associating right. my brand a little bit with his brand as somebody that I would be studying with because it gives valuable information to people about social media marketing. It's, it's not, it's a soft sell. Like it's only so associated, but I always try to think of that when I think about a networking thing. So you and I are at a distance here in Washington state, you know, people are absolutely blown away. Like educators have contacted me and they're like, you know, trying to figure out business stuff. And I go, yeah, we can just put like your information through my email list. And they're like, Oh my God, you would do that. And I go, why wouldn't I? It's like, if you right. have valuable stuff to teach, I'm not hoarding my email list. Like I'm not giving you the emails, by the way, I'm not giving away people's data. I'm just providing my audience more value. If I post that link and say, Hey, this is Carlos Gill's book. Am I afraid I'm going to lose clients because people want to learn about social media marketing? No, like I'm promoting Carlos, but I'm developing a digital connection, just like I develop a digital connection with you. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, that is, um, that's a form of currency in its own, the connections, you know, everyone has, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people who create groups on social media and in those groups, they make agreements to promote each other to these 15, 20,000 people that are in this group. And when we start doing that as massage therapists, I, I'll tell you, I have a client who was here in the Oregon, Washington area. and they moved to Texas and would fly back up here every so often and see me. And they kept saying, look, I can't find anybody out here who does what you do. And I said, Hey, okay, I'm going to forward you Robert Gardner's information. I'm going to forward you this information. See how far he is from you, because I think what he does will help you. And the client goes, yeah, he's like five hours away. <laughs> I said, <laughs> It is Texas. Okay, well, <laughs> well, well, either way it goes, now you know that he exists. And I'm telling you that I think if you have the opportunity, that's a person to go to. That's, that's currency of its own. Yeah. It's just having those connections with people, even if it is just someone saying, hey, go watch his, like, when you post this video and I take it and share it, 
I want people to watch the other videos that you have. I want people to see the other, the, uh, other interviews and the other uh, episodes on your podcast because that not, it, it does two things. It speaks to people from the standpoint of seeing how big this world is, like we talked about earlier. But it also lets my people know from my, from my end of things that I'm confident in what I do to the point that I have no problem with giving just due to someone else who is confident in what they do that relates to what I do. I am, I am an authority, but I am not the authority. And I'm okay with that. And once we, once we start realizing the value in showing what uh, letting other people's knowledge speak, I think the industry itself will grow. We get on a better accord and then we also get away from having to deal with the militia so much. Yeah. I don't don't know what that, that militia thing. I don't (laughs) know. It's like, should I even spend time worrying about where it comes from or why? In the end, I'm always just very individual and I'm getting the person to take out their phone and just go do your thing. Go help people and show people what you do. That's all. Right. It could be funny on TikTok and full of music. It could be informational, educational, funny, like tons of uh, different ways to go. But you have to build a bigger digital footprint and you have to be able to draw people into your story. And again, Simon Sinek, he said, they don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Right. And I think think there's a piece there and I don't think massage marketing has really evolved to that level as that Coke ad I saw. No. Yeah. You know, massage is just now getting itself from under that taboo umbrella. Mm. And you know, you, it's interesting because when you, you look at, when you, you speak about Coke, we have to look at, how how soda itself or soft drinks at one point there's a reason it was called coca-cola so you have to look at where it was where it went where it went and now even with people doing these videos saying you can clean the the ring around your toilet out with with coke why would you drink this there's still fountains at every restaurant you go to that serve it yeah it is, it's established itself through the ups and downs. And massage is on that move. I'm, I may have said this previously uh, when we talked before. I honestly see in the next 20 years, massage progressing itself into, into a doctorate program, the same way physical therapy did. But it has to come from under that, uh, that taboo umbrella, so to say. Because yeah. even the same thing even happened with uh, chiropractic and, and physical therapy. I, I still, to this day, I, I appreciate chiropractic, but I call chiropractors dirty witch doctors. Uh, that's, that's just how it is. Uh, but I think that's what's going to happen. Once we get from under that, that taboo umbrella where people look at it and question it instantly or question the nature of the therapist or what you're doing, that's when it will become a more a more more marketable so to say more marketable career 
yeah. when we talk about from the standpoint of, of social media? It's, it's evolving and we're in the midst of that evolution. We may be considered leaders or educators in part of that evolution. Um, but I am on the street just like every other therapist, just trying to make it. Uh, in the middle of right. coronavirus, so like a lot of my revenue streams just got dried up. Can't see mm-hmm. clients, can't, can't go teach classes. I'm like, ooh, do I make enough money online? Like, well, we'll find out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Very quick. Yeah. So, uh, Dijon, can you give them your social media shares and where they can find you again? Definitely. So, you can find me on Instagram at the balanced hand official uh you'll you'll click on there and you'll know it's me instantly uh social media wise so facebook i have the balanced hand massage and body works located in vancouver that's my business page my personal page is dijon culpepper those are the best places to find me you can follow you can watch videos you can share my videos you can comment you message me i will get it if you have questions um, I'm always down to give consults and information. I'm, I'm out there. As I, as I always say, my tagline is, I ain't hard to find. Cool. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. We can have a discussion about what we may discuss in the future. Um, but it's really nice to have a chat with somebody with a different vantage point in the industry and have uh, such amazing colleagues. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always good to be on your podcast. I look forward to the next one. Cool. Thank you so much. All right.